BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Thursday, September 5th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, In These Times writer Miles Komplassen will join us, and it's our monthly property tax tutorial. Get ready, take notes, with property tax guru Andrea Rayla. And now your host, property tax guru in training, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this What Happened to Your Nose Thursday? And here's why. Yes, I know I discussed this yesterday, folks. And yes, I know a loyal uh, viewer saw my nose operation. But so many people, they either miss the interpretation or they keep sending me emails and texts. They're very worried about my nose. Plus, I look really weird still. So I feel, D, I must address this one more time, all right? So day two of Nosegate. All right, folks. Well, let me get the camera right there. There it uh, is. All right. They're getting a good look at it now, buddy. All right, get that camera off now. Uh, it looks so weird. Anyway, uh, I, yes, I had basal cell cancer, which is uh, the non-lethal form of cancer. But anytime you say that word, it gets people very scared, gets me very scared. Well, it makes me kind of hungry. I love uh, basil. Oh, okay. Well, that part of the, 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 the sentence is okay. But the other word, very scary. So um, yeah, I had to uh, go to the doctor. The doctor uh, scraped off uh, the cancer and uh, left a gaping wound uh they had to stitch it up uh they had to take skin from one part of my nose and graft i couldn't explain all this yesterday d because i was so woozy from those pills oh, why i even it. came on the show i'm out of I my had to work with you for three hours <laughs> i was like oh man <gasps> so the trippy lights in this room i had to wear my shades and everything of course i had black eyes from the procedure anyway so uh they're they do a lot of stitching and to protect the stitches and let the wound heal they put all this bandage on me so that's why i look the way i do with all this bandage on me and by the way sometimes the bandage is really weird i don't know if you ever had this much bandage on your nose d sometimes it, it skirts up so i can't see uh you know other time pulling it but i want to pull it too much my wife said don't pull your bandage too much because you're going to take the thing away all right take the bandage off so got to worry about that anyway it also exposes me to a lot of very funny jokes okay everybody's a wise guy out there but i should say this a lot of people don't quite know what to say so if they sort of know me, but don't know me, you know what I'm saying, D? They're like, walk on by, oh, hello, hello. <laughs> you know, it's not uh, it's counting on the obvious. Yeah. And then other people kind of look at me when I'm walking down the street, like, mm -mm, that looks weird. Uh, and some people just 
just don't see it at all, which is my kind of people, right? Uh, but then there's the jokes, a lot of great jokes. Let's see, what are some of the jokes? Uh, Jake Giddy's jokes. I think we talked about this yesterday. So for their younger listeners, do not realize this. There's a tremendous movie in the, in the 70s called Chinatown, starring Jack Nicholson as Jake Giddy's, the private eye, and he gets his nose cut in the middle of the movie by a character uh, played by Roman Polanski. Probably more details than anybody wanted to know. Hey, kitty cat, you nosy kitty cat. You know what we do to nosy people when they get too nosy kitty cat and they cut his nose oh, no i know it's a great movie by the way no Excellent. i mean we lost all the listeners <laughs> by you talking about that movie chinatown one of the greatest movies ever okay arguably the greatest movie of all time chinatown jack nicholson watch it sometime but not during my show anyway so a lot of people making people over the age of 50 making jack nicholson jake giddy's jokes then there's the invisible man jokes because i look like the character in invisible man with the bandages all up my face then there's people making jokes about how i went 10 10 rounds with mike tyson uh, that was a boxer in the 90s for our youngsters out there anyway so a lot of jokes uh, the bottom line is this, folks. If you can learn anything uh, from this procedure, if that doctor, first of all, go to doctors, get checked up. And if that doctor tells you uh, you have anything with the word cancer in it, do something about it. I know this sounds pretty obvious, but uh, I'll put it to you this way. Uh, having to deal with jokes about how you look like the invisible man is better than the alternative. That is for sure. We got a great show today, everybody. We're going to be talking politics, politics, politics. No more talk about noses, all right? Politics, politics, politics. Miles Conflas will be here from In These Times. And, uh, oh, you know what? Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, uh, CNN debate last night. It wasn't really a debate. It was a forum where the Democrats uh, talked about climate change and get into some uh, budget talk from here in the city of Chicago with uh, Miles Lori's uh, maybe a teacher strike with the Chicago Teachers Union. I got a feeling they'll cut a deal. We'll see what Miles has to say say about that uh and then um uh at 2 30 or so andrea rail a property tax expert will be in the studio as uh, the, the doctor said and yes we are going to take the deep dive on property taxes in cook county and chicago ladies and gentlemen i think the time has come for the mayor of the city of chicago and the president of cook county board and all the other officials to seriously consider ending this crazy system we have where we're so dependent on the property tax to finance our schools it's driving up the cost of living in chicago so much that a lot of middle class people can't afford to live here Lori lightfoot was talking about last night at the town hall meeting we'll get into that in a little while uh up in jefferson park i'm with her 100 percent on this uh, i've been crusading on this issue d for a very long time property tax is a regressive form of taxation and it's uh, really hammering hard at middle-class uh, people, and it's not, I, th I don't think it's uh, in the city's best interest to continue, or the state for that matter, to having such a dependence on the property tax to fund education. So Andrea Ray will be in the studio uh, to talk about that, and uh, so plenty of political talk ahead of us, but first, the news with Dr. D. And hey, uh, if you rent, don't think that this segment is going to be for you with Andrea Rayla, isn't that right? Oh, absolutely. Renters, come on. Come on, renters, wake up. Your owner, the guy who owns your building, pays the property tax, so you never see a property tax. But it gets passed on to you in terms of higher rent. So it's just the higher the property tax goes, the higher your rents. You know, it's funny, renters, uh, D, I've had this conversation forever because I've been writing about this forever. And renters would be like, property tax? You know? I, sometimes when I give little talks about it, town hall talks and stuff about property tax, I ask people, raise your hand if you've ever seen a property tax bill. D, you'd be surprised 
realized how many pe- people do not raise their hand because oh, yeah. they've never seen a property tax I've bill. Never seen if one. you're a renter, but it affects you, it, it impacts you, and you don't even know about it. So, uh, yes, renters too. Take out your pen, take out your paper, take notes. Yes, that's right. Chicago Landlord's least favorite podcast, The Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show. Take notes to go to your landlord. Hey, hey. Give me my money. No, actually, uh, landlords, uh, back in the old days, landlords, when I used to write about this obsessively, uh, it was an obsession of mine maybe for 10 years in the O's or so, uh, or maybe five or six years. I can't remember. I wrote about it a lot. A lot of the uh, residential landlords love my columns. Downtown uh, uh, business landlord, mm, they didn't like them so much. <laughs> You know, because back then I was uh, going after uh, Burke and Madigan and Collerton for getting property. I've been at this game a long time, Dave. At this game a long time. I've been writing a lot of stories. I hear you loud and clear, Ben. Okay. I hear you loud Mm -hmm. and clear. Mm -hmm. First up, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. And for the record, I love puppies. (laughs) What's on J.B. Pritzker's calendar today? Nothing. Oh. No public events scheduled. Ben, it's a crisp Thursday afternoon in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And if any of you have listened at all this week, you already know the Pritzkinator, he's on crutches. All <laughs> yes, right? he is. Broke his femur. Uh-huh. Ben, what do you think the governor is doing right now, right at now, this very minute? Right now, he's sitting back, legs up, resting that femur. Okay. All right. Listen to the Steve Miller Band, because okay. he loves Steve Miller Band. Not our show, just I'm the a, Steve Miller Band. I'm a token. Um, no, he likes to listen to us on the down. He oh, likes he's to a downloader. Yeah, man, okay. come on. He puts those headphones on. He goes for a power walk. Well, he can't do the power walk now, because his femur hurts. But then he listens. He loves. He loves you when you do your imitation of Trump. Oh, yeah. Okay. And yeah. he loves your imitation. Why well, about your imitation of JB loves that too. Oh, I'm sure he does love that. Huh? <laughs> Power walk. And and the, your imitation around. Oh, okay. Put a quarter in the jukebox, pal. <laughs> and he loves, loves, loves your imitation of Lisa Simpson. I don't. I, I never did Lisa Simpson. All right, Homer. Marge, uh, all right? Homer. Homer. Yeah, okay. Yay for our teachers. Yay for our teachers. Anyway. Did you say Bruce Rauner? Uh, yeah, he does. He loves. Could you just do one more Rauner, please? Oh, uh, there, there you, you go. go. All right. <laughs> That's what he's doing. He's waiting for your router invitation. All right. J.B. Pritzker broke his fist. So uh, he's kicking back and uh, just. He's uh, chilling. Getting ready for the Bears game. I bet okay. he's a big Bears fan. Big right? Bears. Oh, he's, yeah, he's Bears. Yeah, down. he's come on. He's, he may even be at the Bears game. You know, all the big shots get to go to opening night and they're playing the Packers. So, yeah, he may even be at the Bears game. All right. So that's it really on our J.B. Pritzker news. Moving on. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Today, Lightfoot visited Phoenix Military Academy to announce record high scholarship offers and earned college credentials at Chicago Public Schools. Last night, yes, the mayor took stage at a Wednesday night budget public town hall meeting in Jefferson Park. Shout out to the Illinois Political Bulldogs at Illinois Politico and one Shia Kapos. They covered the event. It was at the Copernicus Center. Ben, what are your thoughts on the Copernicus Center? Uh, I yeah. told you yesterday, Copernicus Center at uh, on Lawrence Avenue, just east of Milwaukee. Great place, great facility. I actually hosted, I don't know if I know, ever told you this, uh, there was a, I was the moderator, I should say, not the host, of an aldermanic debate. John Arena uh, and uh, about seven other candidates uh, were on stage. I did it twice, as a matter of fact. Uh, so, yeah, fond memories of the Copernicus Center on the northwest side of Chicago. Chicago in the 45th Ward. Was that before or after you got fired? 
from the radio job. Uh, that was before I got fired oh, from the radio okay. job. Okay. Yeah. Just, you know, uh, yeah. Gives me a good context. Yeah, yeah that's just, you know, it's a divide my life before and after. <laughs> I just want to tell you something, young man. There was a lot of before <laughs> I got that job, all right? I was relatively uh, l- late in my life when I got that job, but uh, it was definitely before that. It was at the Copernicus Center, and this is the first of four town hall events planned around the city this month. The mayor and her finance team are hoping to tap into public sentiment as they prepare the 2020 budget due next month. Remember, everyone, we're currently staring at an $838 million budget deficit. We have the details of the event, but Ben, before we get into that, a public town hall to hear what the people of Chicago have to say. This is a good idea, is it not? Absolutely. I love mayoral town hall budget debates. And the Tribunal today, the Chicago Tribune, uh, got to give them a little credit. Uh, they they did a brief history in their account of it. Two youngsters writing for it. So they, I don't know if they were around for mo- uh, many of these debates, but they do a little history. And they had this line. They said, the public town halls follow in the footsteps of similar neighborhood budget sessions by uh, Lori Lightfoot's predecessors, Richard M. Daly and Rahm Emanuel, that critics derided as shams uses to cover for spending pans that are spending plans that they already had concocted. Critics deride it. I love it when journalists write critics. Instead of saying who the critic is, I was one critic. Uh, that said, even though I made fun of the, the town hall uh, hearings that Daly and Rom had, I love them. They were a blast to go to for me. Of course, I'm a Let's face it. The, I, I like watching uh, presidents. Mm, say it now. Mm, <laughs> nerd. nerd. There we go. You know, I mean, I, am, go. I admit it. <laughs> I love I really love them more in their daily than Rom. Rom was a joke. His, his town hall meetings were just an absolute farce. But daily, man, daily would have, like, he would have all, he would sit at the center of a table. I said it was like the Last Supper. And all around him were all his, um, his department chiefs. And they had to go. It was mandatory. They had to sit there. You could tell. A lot of those department chiefs were big shots from other areas of uh, the world, but they, they went to the city like they were maybe a corporate lawyer and they went to the city. And they, they just like had a disdain for the little people and to have to be there and confront the little people of Chicago, the peasants of Chicago, the taxpayers of Chicago. You could see it really irritated, but Daly got off on it, man. Richie Daly loved this stuff. And so everybody, the town, uh, people would pray to um, the microphone that was at the center of, of the hall and they have like two minutes to speak and they go, you know, it was it really was like out of the Godfather in some cases. You ever see the Godfather day when the when the people would come to Marlon Bruno? Oh, yes, Godfather. Uh, da, 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 I need blah blah blah. So they come before Daly. Oh, Mayor Daly, you are wonderful. Your father is wonderful. Your whole family is wonderful. I have a pothole on my street. And Daly would go, that's ridiculous. And he would order some uh, flunky from Streets and Sanitation Department to run over to that person, take their name and number. And the next day, the the crew would come out and fill the pothole. Only one time they filled a pothole so big that instead of a pothole problem, they had this big like mound of concrete in the middle of the street. Oh, we overdid it uh, in that case. Remember that I actually wrote a story about that. So those old days where Mayor Dad was Mayor Daly's way of showing that he cared about the people of the city of Chicago and that he was listening to the people of the city of Chicago. When they got that instant response, uh, folks felt that their mayor was in tune with them. 
That was the key, in my humble opinion, to Mayor Daley's success, uh, despite all the horrendous, horrific budget deals he cooked up, like the parking meter deal. Uh, Mayor Rahm could not, it was so arrogant, he couldn't even pretend that he cared about the little people of the city of Chicago. And at his first budget hearing, which was set up like an Oprah show, he was at the center of a room and someone was interviewing him. Uh, so he didn't share the stage with anybody. Uh, he got some tough questions and he said, that's it. I'm not doing this again. Uh, and so he went to a different format, invitation only. How, what kind of town hall meeting is that? Invitation only, where you fill the room with people who will just <laughs> tell you how wonderful you are. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and then he just stopped doing those at all. I think he was, uh, he just to say, yeah, I don't even have to listen to the little people. They're so dumb, they're going to vote for me anyway. Uh, until 2015, D when uh, he was in trouble because of the Laquan uh, McDonald uh, video. And uh, he had a town hall meeting uh, and uh, it was at South Shore. And I was there that day and uh, protesters ran him off the stage. So, so ended Rahm in his uh, town hall meetings. It's good to see that Lori Lightfoot's brought it back. Oh, Rahm Emanuel would like to weigh in. Take a chill pill, man. <laughs> hey, what happened to your face? <laughs> I just realized that. What's going on? Uh, I had a 10-round fight Whoa. with Mike Tyson. Uh, yeah, Holy you should cow. see it, Mike Tyson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, now let's hear what the people had to say at this town hall event. Yes, sir. Apparently, it was a light crowd. But, Ben, I have a feeling that these things are going to catch on. There wasn't too much advertising, really, for uh, this town hall. Plus, I couldn't go because of this thing. Uh, I was yeah. at home watching Mindhunter. Oh, God. <laughs> He's a dork, everybody. Oh, by the way, also watch. We'll talk about this later because there is some relevance to uh, the world of Chicago. Dave Chappelle finally got around to seeing Dave Chappelle's new Netflix special. Oh, everybody's day. talking about uh, it. his Justice Smollett thing is hilarious. We'll get into that a little later. All right. Residents took turns at the mic offering ideas big and small. They suggested increasing affordable housing and mental health services, hiking taxes on big corporations and cutting subsidies for developers. There were calls for teachers to pay more into their pensions, police to buy their own insurance and rideshare companies to be taxed more. Yes. All there, as you can tell, when you go to a town hall meeting, uh, they're, you're, they're kind of all over the map because everybody gets to talk. And so. Uh, so it's sort of like uh, hosting a radio call-in talk show, D. Remember those days? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> you get all kinds of suggestions from all kinds of different people. Uh, and, but there's some consistent themes that have emerged from uh, those speakers. And the, the, one of the, I, if I could boil it down to one, it's that Chicago, we'll get into this, this is sort of a theme for our day, uh, is that Chicago is becoming uh, unaffordable to middle-class people, working-class people, and poor people. This has been on my mind for a long time. And that is a theme that uh, Lori Lightfoot's going to hear a lot of. Uh, and she's got three more, I think, three more uh, community forums, including one in the 10th Ward, D. In the 10th Ward? Yeah, Ish. Our good friend Ish, uh, who is the chief of staff to uh, our good friend, Alderwoman Sue Garza. So that she's going to have a, she's going to go all the way down to the 10th Ward, far southeast side. So that'll be a common refrain in all these uh, budget hearings, or town hall meetings, no more property tax hikes. We're going to be keeping an eye on you, too, in the 10th Ward Lightfoot. You better not go get gas in Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> or cigarettes. Yeah. By the well, way, well. Oh, yeah, I don't think Lori Lightfoot smokes cigarettes, but I got to say this about Lori Lightfoot, huge bear fan, a legitimate bear fan. I got my issues with a lot of our previous mayors. They pretended they were sports fans and they re weren't really sports fans. I don't know why they went through the pretense of it. You know, Ron was really that way. Uh, and you know, Daly didn't really care about sports. Kind of like the White Sox a little bit, but uh, Lori Lightfoot, legitimate 
Bears fan. She has season tickets. She will definitely be at that game tonight. You notice they didn't t- schedule a town hall budget hearing for tonight, did you? Oh, hell no, they didn't. You know why? Ready, set, 2020. Ready, set, 2020. Blue dog. That's a, that's the audible. Blue dog. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Hang tight, uh, non-sports <laughs> fans. I tell you who uh, may be a Bears fan as well. Rick Heidner. He owns the uh, oh, gold, he owns yeah, the gold he Rush Gaming. He yes. owns Gold Rush Gaming, and he suggested at this town hall meeting uh-huh. to Lori Lightfoot that video gaming in empty storefronts could reinvigorate neighborhoods as well as city coffers. Lightfoot, who took notes throughout the town hall, responded, quote, you're not the first to suggest this, and asked him to leave his contact information. Yes. All right. Now, uh, I'm going to... That's something about Lori Lightfoot. I'm going to just shout out. M- many of my Lori Lightfoot friends are saying I'm too hard on Lori. All right? Too hard on Lori. How about that, D? It's only three. The honeymoon, their honeymoon with me is over. Everybody always goes, there's got to be a honeymoon with a mayor. How about their honeymoon with me? The Lori Lightfoot fans are here. Too hard on Lori. So I'm going to give Lori a shout out right here. She actually does listen to people as opposed to the previous mayor, whose name I can't remember. What was his name, D? Oh, yeah, I forgot his name. Uh, And uh, (laughs) she actually listens to people. Now, she may not agree with them, and she may want, she may uh, have that impulse uh, to tell them, call them clowns, as she uh, made a reference to the the member of the Fraternal Order Police or the leader of the Fraternal Order Police. But she does listen to people, she does take notes. And uh, so I got to give her credit for that. But that, what, what was he want? He wants to put video game rooms in all empty storefronts? Yep. Yeah, well, that's a, you know, hey. Put him to use somehow, huh? And he's not the first to suggest it. No, he was not. Now comes the property tax portion of the town hall. Responding to comments on property tax hikes, Lightfoot said quite a few times, in fact, during this town hall. It's our phrase of the day. I hear you loud and clear. That's what she said to the gentleman there. She also said about raising property taxes, quote, I think the answer is no. And quote, the middle class in Chicago has been absolutely decimated. Yeah, I've been talking about this all day. Uh, Andrew Rail will be coming in at 2.30. We're going to talk more about this. Our property tax system does uh, put too much of a burden on middle class people, working class people in the city of Chicago. And uh, it does not, when I call it regressive, what I mean is <clears throat> as properties rise in value, they don't always, re, uh, they don't uh, they're not a good uh, assessment of a person's ability to pay it it's not a good indication of a person's ability to pay it so the if your if your property is worth let's say a million dollars but you paid a hundred thousand dollars for 20 years ago uh, the property tax guy thinks that you're a millionaire who can afford a million dollar home and that may not be the case and so it's out of balance it's out of whack and again we our schools depend on the property tax uh, for their funding. So this is we're dependent on a regressive tax to fund our schools. We say funding our schools is critical. If it's so critical, we wouldn't depend on a tax that people can't afford to pay to fund it. So we have to start looking in a new direction with this. The mayor has said a property tax increase is the last resort and is looking at getting legislative approval for a graduated real estate transfer tax, a sales tax on services, congestion pricing, and changing the tax structure on a Chicago casino. On this next update, it's just kind of adorable. One woman suggested that residents donate spare pennies toward the budget. (laughs) After all, she said... 
The city is worth every penny. I like that. Yeah. Then came your favorite topic, Ben. No one, no, not talking about pennies. No, someone in the crowd reads Ben Jarofsky articles because tax increment financing came up, a.k.a. TIFFs. Lightfoot responded by saying the city would be, quote, rolling out an announcement in a few weeks. Ooh, Lori Lightfoot must be reading Ben Jarofsky's column, too. I don't know what announcement she's rolling out. Um, everybody knows, if you listen to my show or read my columns, uh, that the TIFF is excuse me, a property tax scam in which they add, uh, add a surcharge to the amounts that you pay in taxes, the amounts that they tell you you're paying in taxes, and uh, that surcharge effectively goes into slush funds controlled, largely controlled by the mayor. This is a, a program that Lori Lightfoot inherited. She did not create the TIF program in the city of Chicago. It was largely created by Mayor Richard M. Daley and then continued and expanded by Mayor Rahm Emanuel. When Mayor Rahm Emanuel left in his last meeting, one final middle finger to the city of Chicago, he got the city council to approve two mega TIF deals in gentrifying neighborhoods, Lincoln Yards and seventy uh, the 78. Uh, the city of Chicago, in my humble opinion, cannot afford these TIF deals because every time you create a TIF district, uh, particularly in a gentrifying area, you're taking property off the tax rolls so it can't be taxed. And that means that everybody else who's still, whose property property is fully taxed has to pay more to compensate for the property they're not taxing in the TIF. It's complicated, I understand it. So folks, all you need to know is this. When they create a TIF district, they raise your taxes. How much? I don't know. Why don't I know? Because the city has never been honest or transparent about this program. The city is very reluctant to even admit that a TIF district raises your taxes. It was. It's an issue that's never discussed, almost never discussed at a public hearing that the city uh, holds to t discuss a TIF district. What they'll do is say, TIFs do not directly raise your prop property taxes, and that's the end of the subject. And then they'll talk about things like the height of the building that will be subsidized by the TIF district or what kind of businesses will be uh, in the, the, the project that's um, uh, being financed by the TIF subsidy or how much traffic congestion will be uh, caused by the, the development. But they don't talk about the impact on the property tax. So here we are. Lori Lightfoot is saying that she wants to be transparent. She wants to be upfront. She wants to be absolutely honest and straightforward with the citizens of the city of Chicago about property tax then you have to. You have to tell people how much the TIFs are costing them. Extra money. What is that surcharge that they're paying in property taxes? And how much money do we have in the TIF slush funds that are not obligated to any programs so that you can use that money for other things like schools or maybe property tax relief or pensions? You have to be clear and honest. You can't say you're going to run a transparent, honest uh open government if this huge program, and it's over $800 million a year, folks, almost as much as, uh, well, it's actually more, the TIF take this year was more than the uh, budget deficit. So if you're going to be open and honest about our city finances, you have to talk about TIFs. So I look forward to whatever announcement she has coming up in a couple of weeks, Steve. So basically, when it comes to Lori's plan on TIFs. Come October, I'll address those challenges further in my budget speech. Come October. Come October. According to Politico, each suggestion at this town hall seemed to be taken to heart by the mayor, and the crowd listened intently, sometimes cheering 
or even politely booing. Now, I wasn't there, so I'm not sure how you can politely boo. <laughs> boo, please. Uh, <laughs> Excuse me, boo? Uh, we may may get, I boo you? If the Bears fall behind the Packers tonight, you'll hear a lot of polite booing <laughs> from the Bears fans. And only one comment really agitated the group. It was a woman who went to the mic and said, smoking marijuana will, quote, <laughs> burn your brain out. Is that my grandma who said that? She'd always tell me that when I was a kid. Uh, did she really? Oh, yeah. Well, not burn your brain out but something along those lines. She said, smoking marijuana will burn your brain out. Numerous attendees cried out, and I'm maybe politely, your time is up. Oh, come on, man. Just I, I like to let everybody gets a chance to talk. So the lady thinks that marijuana is harmful to your health. All right. You know, uh, but the reality is marijuana will be legal. Windy. I know you're counting down the days. Wait, hold on. Uh, wait, let me carry the one. January 1st. January 1st. Cannot the, wait. The doctor uh, will be first in line. I, I want my weed. Uh, it's going to be. A, I'm just going to. Well, I don't know if I should be talking about this, but I'm just going to buy it from my... That will be illegal. <laughs> uh, he'll be, uh, but I, I like the gummy bear edibles, please. Uh, I want to wait in a big, long line for this this time around. As opposed to having somebody deliver it to my house. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's still those folks out there who are, uh, you know, uh, concentrating on uh, the, the detrimental side effects of marijuana. Too much waking and baking cannot be possibly good for your health. Let's see what Miles Conflossen has to say about this when he comes into the studio, oh, D. I just got an email from the Sun-Times. Dennis, we want you to take a drug test. <laughs> oh, Jesus. By the way, drug, it's funny you should say that. I remember uh, back in the day, I can't remember when it was, because I'm old. Uh, it was either the late 80s or early 90s. A, a dear friend of mine got a job at the Tribune. I will not uh, mention his name because I, I don't think the Tribune <laughs> wants to know they have dear friends of mine working there. But uh, they made him take a drug test. That's uh, it, it, like, Why? This is this is how preposterous it, it was the eighties. I was like, this is how preposterous this country was in the eighties with this drug war, and the tri the Tribune was part of the the anti just say no culture was requiring journalists to take a drug test. D, okay, I can understand a pilot, let's say, having to take a drug test. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, you know, I'm not sure I want my pilot high. All yeah. right, or an alcohol test. Or I don't want my pilot drunk. Okay, but. A journalist? What, what do you care if the journalist is smoking a joint? It may give him better, better insight, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, and, and then he was told by the boss, don't worry about it. We don't pay attention to it. So just follow the logic on this one, D. They're making him take the drug test just because they wanted to say, we make our employees take a drug test. Yeah. Like, we're part of that whole Reagan, just say no, war on drugs attitude, which was so destructive to our country, part of the utter hypocrisy of our country. And then they were saying, don't worry, we're not going to pay attention to it anyway because we know it's bogus. Come on, Tribune. You're better than that. I, no, get with it, come Trib. Come on, Trib. I, I bet they've stopped doing that. That was in the 80s, I said. So yeah. oh. give, give them a benefit of the doubt, right, D? Whole other time, whole other thing. A whole the other 80s, generation. Right? The 80s, man. Uh, I'll tell you one thing about the reader. What? Never gave us drug tests. Oh, I can tell. I've read your articles. <laughs> My God. In fact, they would give us, the only drug tests they would give us are tests that were uh, intended to see how much we knew about drugs. So, Ben, <laughs> uh, what's a popular word for marijuana? A, reefer. B, do. B, C, uh, all of the above. That's the kind of drug test we got at the reader. <laughs>
So that's really it from Wednesday's town hall meeting. We had our vegetables. Now let's have some fun because people are weighing in on the YouTube live stream chat and they want some predictions for tonight's Bears game. Ooh. All right. Hey, the listeners want it. We'll give it to them. But first, uh, we have a comment from Jay or Jay Marie. Hope you don't mind me saying that. Uh, she says, Ben, you're fair to Lightfoot. She's not above criticism. Her supporters need to wake up. God bless you. Thank you for saying that. They've been all on the phone on me all day. Who, who, what was the, the Jay Marie. Jay Marie. You should have heard him. Man, you're too hard on Lori. Blah, blah, blah. So, I'm bring, by the way, I'm bringing some Lori people on. They're going to come on and uh, they're going to sing her praises. And uh, yeah, listen. I, what were my grades to Lori D? I, uh, uh, I gave her an A for not being Rahm Emanuel. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a D? I gave her an A for not being Rahm, but by that I meant uh, she's not arrogant and smug, and she listens to people, and it's a breath of fresh air, and I appreciate that. I gave her an A for uh, socking it to Ed Burke, all right? That's a very important symbolic move that she made. And I gave her D on TIFFs. I thought it was easy on her in the TIFF thing because of the Lincoln Yard stuff. But, you know, I'm still waiting to hear that big rollout. I didn't know about that rollout. I learned that from you today, D, that there's going to be a rollout. Oh, about, yeah. You know, she's going to have a big announcement on TIFFs. So that grade could go up if I like what I hear. Rahm Emanuel, you want to weigh in again? Take a chill pill, man. <laughs> Rahm, yeah. You think Rahm will be at the Bears game tonight? Oh, I, I don't know. And if it's, uh, here you go. If they if they show his face on the big jumbotron? Yeah, you got that right. So he probably won't be at the game. Yeah, All right, so let's go to the YouTube live stream chat here. It's uh, oh, Michi-based God. We haven't seen you in a while, Michi-based God. How's it going? He says, give Ben a pass for the day. Let's get some Bears talk. <laughs> and then Daniel says, yeah, I wouldn't mind hearing a prediction for tonight's game. Uh, Steven weighed in. He said, my prediction, the Bears will play a football game against the Packers. You heard it here first. Whoa. I like that. That's pretty good. Yeah. I like that. It's very John Madden-esque, yeah. uh, just stating things that are so obvious. All right, Ben. Let's get a prediction for tonight's game. A real one, too. Not like Bears 100, Packers 0. Oh, that was going to be my prediction. Yeah, come on. All right, so, folks, let me just say this about that. I love the Bears. I'm a longtime Bear fan. And uh, I, cheesehead fans, I hate to say this to you, I cannot stand the Green Bay Packers. Oh, God. And my son-in-law is a Green Bay Packer fan. That really pains me. Uh, but my, my daughter is remaining strong. Okay? Bear fan. Well... She's not a Packer fan. So having said that as a preamble, I have the inner bear paranoia that something will go wrong. It's called paranoia. Paranoia. Thank you. That it'll always go wrong when the Bears play the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. Like just remember last year's opening game. You remember that? Let's not even mention that game. Bears were up big time at half and they lost. I'm going to put that to the side, folks. Yes, I'm going to make a prediction. My beloved Chicago Bears, 24. The dreaded cheeseheads from Green Bay, 17. All right. 24 to 17. And you know what you're going to hear a lot of tonight? What's that? Ready, set, 2020. Oh, <laughs> I'll just hear it from afar out of my window. Oh, yeah, it is I'll football season. I'll be watching season. the game, and my wife has said she's going to make me linguine with white clam sauce because oh, she feels so goodness. sorry for me for my nose oh, thing. Oh, keep that nose thing on. You're going to get dinner forever. All right, so everybody, there you go. Ben's prediction, Bears 24, Packers 17. What say you, Ben Jarofsky Show listeners? We're letting loose. We're talking sports today. How about that, huh? By the way, 
my beloved bright one, Chicago Sun Times. We had Chris Fusco here on uh, what was it last Saturday? Or he, the show was aired Saturday. Chris Fusco, the editor of the Chicago Sun Times, he was talking about the giving his sort of his state of the Sun Times address, talking about uh, Lori Lightfoot, etc., etc. It's a fun interview. I urge everyone to check it out, but not now, of course. But anyway, I was I was giving the Tribunal a compliment. I said, you know, they've been. I really appreciate uh, the Tribune's top 100 bears. Uh, they've been doing this. They went from uh, in uh, ascending order. They started with the 100th, and they made her all the way to number one. And he goes, you just wait. And uh, we got something. So yet today, uh, the bright one included this uh, insert. It's really colored insert, like a, a magazine insert about the Chicago Bears 100 years anniversary. And I was there was a party going on at the bright one yesterday, yeah. and, and they were celebrating this, uh, the, the, the publication of this pamphlet, and they were having a party, but guys were cheering and stuff. This is going on. Oh, that's when I found out sometimes does not drug test. My goodness, they were partying so hard. <laughs> Whoa, guys. Uh, and uh, so they came up with their uh, 100 top bears of all time. And let me just say this, folks. I'm just going to put this out there. Do it. If you don't put Walter Payton number one on any list of great bears, you don't know football. You don't know the bears. So I'll say this about the bright one of the tribute. At least they see eye to eye. They got sweetness, number one. The greatest, my humble opinion, football player of all time. The greatest bear of all time. Whenever I ride down Wall Street, I see Walter Payton High School, and I raise my hand up in the air because number 34, I love the man when he was playing for the bears. And so I'm glad to see that the Sun-Times and the Tribune, they may not see eye to eye on pensions. They may not see eye to eye on Trump. They may not see eye to eye on Gary Johnson. Tribune loves Gary Johnson. That's correct. But at least they see eye to eye on Walter Payton. All right. Hey, now that we're talking football, you mind if I get on a little St. Louis Rams kick, huh? No, nobody wants Kurt to Kurt Warner? <laughs> yeah. 1990s. Greatest show on turf? <laughs> All right, Marshall no. Falk? What? Nobody cares about that. This is Chicago, young man. So there you are, some local news there. Uh, coming up a little later on, we're going to be talking Ricketts Gate. Mm. So make sure you stay tuned I'm for that. I'm all fired up. Andrew uh, Rail and I are ready to talk. Rick, i got to give a Tribune a shout-out. They had it on the front page. Ricketts Gate, we're going to be talking about that. Well, before that Tribune shout-out, it's almost football season, like we've been talking about here, which means that the best sports reporters at the Chicago Sun-Times want to offer you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all the stories you love. Do not miss a game this season. Get all the big plays, scores, and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you, yes you, can lock in our lowest rate yet, only $29.99 for a full year of all the news and sports you need to know. Stay up to date on breaking stories, get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters, and go deep inside City Hall with best-in-class political reporting, and of course, cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city, Ben... Ready, set, 2020. All right, $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. You really can't do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. Don't go anywhere. Plenty more Ben Jarofsky show on the way. We got Miles Conflassen of In These Times Magazine coming in a little later. We're going to talk all things. Oh, last week we talked chicken sandwiches. We're, we're going to have an update on that. Oh, chicken sandwich update, guys. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky show live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, 
arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for, um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And, uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you, um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Miles Kompflassen from In These Times in the studio. Miles comes in every Thursday talking politics, talking uh, news, uh, national, local, and uh, state. But Miles, got not going to let you get out of here. Everybody wants to know. All right, Miles, you're a Chicagoan. Went to Whitney Young High School, the pride and joy of Beverly. Mm-hmm. What's your prediction on tonight's opener? Bears, Packers, go Miles. Bear down. I think we got a. I think we're gonna have a Trubisky goat game like oh. he had uh, last season. I think he's gonna. Uh, you know, Nagy's gonna show off all of his offensive weapons he's been working on all off season. But most importantly, uh, I think that defense is gonna show up. I think we're gonna see a Mac attack. Um, you know, you remember? Was it? A, it was last year they started out against Green Bay and they just lost it. And I was just allude, when you were coming in. I was alluding yeah. to that heartbreaking. It was a heartbreaker. They were right. up twenty nothing. I want to say at half. Or, it was. It was that. Was, yeah. That. That was. That was so web. But I think we're gonna come back i think they're, they're going to show them i you know i wonder how some of these uh new guys are going to play i think the um i think they've done a lot of work in the offseason i think it's going to be great uh, hopefully rogers goes down not anything serious but you know maybe he sprains an ankle or something and uh so what's the score what's your score oh uh i'm gonna say uh 2014 bears wow. i don't think it's gonna be i don't think it's gonna be dominant but i think we're gonna pull it out hey, a win is a win all right now uh, before we get uh the all the, the new news i gotta tell you last week you're on the show uh, and we were talking about your article. I had a big response. Just want to let you know this. And it was your story that you wrote for Jacobin Magazine, mm-hmm. not for In These Times, mm-hmm. uh, about Popeyes and the chicken war between Popeyes and Chick-fil-A. And the point you made was that workers are not sharing in with all the um, 
the benefits that Popeye's has been bringing in all the do re mi they've been bringing in since their their great chicken sandwich apparently they were so successful they ran out of chicken sandwiches now it's back to just regular old ordinary Popeye's uh, which I consumed quite a bit of in the 1990s but let's not talk about that Uh, so people were really uh, well my listeners loved it but my guess is is that some uh, right of center people didn't appreciate uh, what you had to say. So, what has there any been uh, any fallout from that? Yeah, well, uh, you know, perhaps not surprisingly, considering how uh, you know widely popular the sandwich has been, both in the uh, news cycle and obviously in, amongst customers, the there has been quite a bit of response to that article. Surprising to me is that you know some of my uh, the critic criticisms I've gotten have come from the left rather than the right. You know, people saying, uh, if you look on Twitter.com, there's quite a few people that say, you know, I'm uh, betraying the, you know, what left politics and socialism should be by buying into, um, you know, this fast food company and giving them free advertising and all this stuff. I, you know, my response to that is just, if people like something, that doesn't necessarily make it bad. You know, something being popular it, because it tastes good doesn't mean that I'm, you know, a corporate stooge or something. Lord knows I'm not on the payroll of a Popeye's marketing team. What I was saying is that the workers should be paid $20 an hour, that they should be allowed to unionize, and that we should redistribute the profits from the owners to the workers. That's, you know, I don't wow. think the marketing team love to hear that. But anyway, so there's that, plenty of that criticism. There's also an article uh, written, I think, Washington Examiner, which uh, went through and gave the usual right-wing talking points of saying, look, if we, and I think I mentioned this last week too, uh, the argument that if we raise the wages, that's necessarily going to mean higher costs for consumers. That's going to, you know, break the market essentially and not uh, allow the kind of innovation and entrepreneurship that we see under Come out, they capitalism. wrote this in response specifically to, to my article. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, that's the kind of Did you thing. respond to their response? I am doing it right now. This is a, you know, Breaking news. <laughs> so this means next week we'll c- continue this conversation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, also, I mean, plenty of people have just gone on to, you know, mock me for my purple prose around the chicken sandwich. I stand by it all. I think, you know, it, it's not it, it's not bad to indulge, you know, a little bit of uh, excitement around popular culture. I think that that's the way, you know, masses of people are involved in, uh, you know, as I said in the article, one out of every seven people eats fast food every day. What are we going to discount those people and say, you know, you're stupid for liking this chicken sandwich? Sandwich, I don't buy into that. I also think that people, by and large, agree that we sh- we are treating these workers unfairly. Yeah. That they should be the beneficiaries of this massive popularity of the chicken sandwich, and that you know, in a, a future, if we want to envision a future that's a little bit more just, that has you know better standards of living, that's more egalitarian, there's more democracy, there's more control over our lives, that should include things like delicious chicken sandwiches. And there's no, there's nothing wrong with uh, liking that and envisioning this. And I'd say to my right-wing critics, you know, if you look, as I said, if you look at um, the what happened in New York, where they raised the, fi- the minimum wage to $15 an hour, um, the restaurant business is thriving there. Yeah. It's not bringing it down, and it's certainly not raising costs for consumers. It's just meaning that these massive executive bonuses are a little bit smaller. And as I point, the, point out in the article, fast food CEOs make, on average, about $24 million a year, while the How cooks, much, well, you said that last week. Twenty-four million dollars. Yeah. No, it's and there's plenty that make more than that. And what are they? Are they working harder than the cooks that are working sixty-hour weeks making the sandwich and getting paid?
paid $8 an hour? I don't think so. I think that that is a clear example of economic injustice in our society. And that's exactly what we need to take on if we want to build a better world. Well, not to tell you what to do with your uh, life and your articles, but as one old journalist, I would urge you to continue this. I think it's a great theme. Uh, and, you know, keep pushing this uh, point uh, because what you said is so true. And I'll continue to offer you that microphone to talk about it because the notion that the CEO makes $24 million, uh, and that... And the worker's making 19000 on average. Yeah, on average. Can you believe that? And uh, the, the $24 million is pretty much guaranteed, whereas the the nineteen uh, is, is... They could be fired at any time. Fired at any time. You're totally Precarious at will. Employment. Yeah, is, is just... Uh, not sustainable for our country. That's number one. Well, and uh, I'll just point out that the Bureau of Labor Statistics just this week came out with their list of projections for future job growth going through 2028. Um, this was just a few days ago. And on that top list, six out of those 10 jobs are jobs that pay poverty wages. So these are the types of jobs right now, if we continue on this track that we are going to, that are going to see the most job growth in the United States. And a lot of that, that includes at number two is fast food and service workers, but there's also plenty of home health care aides and uh, people that work in the healthcare sector and in care work that are also getting paid these type of uh, poverty wages. And as, as you just said, we can't, it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And then uh, to my beloved lefties of the world, uh, <laughs> I just, I don't know, man, lighten up for crying <laughs> out loud. I, it's just, listen, I have my issues with lefties. This go ways back. I, I uh, When I was a kid growing up and I never really felt comfortable with like the hippie society because I was always in the sports, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And, the, and it was, they were so sports was just yeah. part of the greater corporate, everything that's wrong with the United States. Totally. And so I always like when I meet an old hippie or activist and when I find out they were a sport, like Mike Klonsky, uh, my old friend, Mike Klonsky, big time sports fan, but he's a lefty as they come. And he used to joke to me, there was like only two other guys in SDS besides him who like sports. Yeah. And, uh, so I don't know. Well, the other thing is so I think, out of touch. Man. I think it's out of touch. I think there's a legacy on the American left, unfortunately, and it's from my generation too. People that were raised in the late '90s and the early 2000s, the horizons of the left seemed so um, so vague, and people couldn't grasp onto what uh, you know more left-wing society would look like. So it became about opting out, you know, and consumer boycotts and this whole like ad busters, anarchist, you know, crime think approach, which just rejected anything that was, that had a corporate, you know, angle to it. You can take on corporate power and call it out while also still saying, you know, the things that our society creates, the art, the, the, you know, the, the culinary delights, all of these things are still positive well, things, you know? Let, let me, uh, I, I, this was not on our list of things to talk about, but you know, that's how how we go, Miles. Okay. So let me let me bring it to this point. Love to hear your thoughts on this. Donald Trump and right wing Republicans, f- for as long as I can remember, have been uh, blasting the liberals as elitists. Yeah. Okay, and it's it's they talk about elitist, elitist, elitist. They just drop it in, and it 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 it's a code word, you know, for a lot. You could just could do a whole column about it, but. The particular reaction that you got when you wrote this great story extolling (laughs) the the need to be more generous in how we distribute the money that this corporation is rolling in, the reaction was, how dare you, you know, praise fast food? You should be denouncing fast. That is, I think, 
would be one-on-one of elitism. Yeah, well, and it's also just not taking into um, consideration how you know, people uh, like the things that they like and they don't want to be told that they're deluded, you know, that they need to like take a pill to suddenly see the light. And that shouldn't be the approach of people that are on the left wing. They should be, you know, meeting people where they're at. And I, what I do want to, I want to connect this to something that, you know, we were planning to talk about, which is the uh, climate town hall that just happened mm-hmm. um, last night on CNN. It was seven hours straight of just talking about climate change. What uh, is so important, I think, about what happened last night on that climate town hall is that there was a focus on uh, just transition, which is kind of a new term, but it basically is a, you know, a form of dealing with the fact that we need to radically transform our energy system in this country. You know, the IPCC says we have 12 years to do that, to radically restructure our economy to reduce carbon emissions. So the only way to do that is to take on the fossil fuel industry and ramp down uh, completely our use of fossil fuels. That necessarily will have a massive impact on jobs in these industries. So what a just transition says is we need to uh, work to retrain uh, these workers. We need to fulfill their pension obligations. Um, we, you know, coal workers, mine workers, all the employees in the fossil fuel industry, we need to center them in these debates about climate as well. We And we can't just, you know, say you're not going to have a job anymore. We got to, you know, focus on the fact these are real pe- working class people whose lives are dependent on this source of income. And they shouldn't be the enemy in this debate. It should be the fossil fuel executives, much like in the fast food industry, the people that are, you know, reaping massive profits out of this while they're paying poverty wages to their employees. And I think that that's a similar point about meeting people where they're at, what, you know, some, you know, left uh, people or people that claim to be left might say is, screw the mine workers. You know, we, we gotta, we just gotta move on. We gotta, you know, get, get past that a just transition which was both uh elizabeth warren and bernie sanders talked about last night is saying that we need to have a plan for the people that are currently working and that means uh investments and people you know these mine workers are not being paid their pensions right now so it's not like you know they're sitting pretty under our current system either and the kind of green new deal that the that they're talk that warren and sanders are talking about would uh achieve some of those goals while also radically reducing our um carbon emissions in the u.s just listen you right now i gotta give a shout out to heidi henry who's a guest on this show she's coming in i think in a couple of weeks or so uh and uh she ran for state senator uh from uh, grundy county she uh points out when she's on the show that uh, democrats uh, have to be more sensitive to the impact uh, that their environmental uh, plans have yeah. on on work on just the jobs that people have you can't just be insensitive and and i do know um that that has been a focus uh in the green new deal that that's why they're championing uh, a new deal type job thing and i was really disconcerted i was really upset when i heard the moderates quote moderate democrats in those first debates attacking bernie and attacking elizabeth warren uh for daring to include jobs and they would roll their eyes you know jobs this is environment oh boy from maryland whose name i always put out of my mind delaney uh, was the one who said that and i think i i absolutely agree with that notion that you you should not be uh talking about uh phasing out a whole industry without talking about the jobs that are going to be lost yeah and the impacts that they're going to have i mean that's the the real that's what we need to reckon with, right? Is that we're, we, what they're proposing is um, 
a complete restructuring of that sector of the economy. And what that will mean is that we need to have alternatives in place that can come through things like what you know Bernie Sanders talks about as a, a federal jobs guarantee, which is may sound radical, but again, that's been proposed by presidents throughout time. FDR talked about it in his Economic Bill of Rights, basically saying the government can create jobs. And we've done that in the past. That's what the New Deal was, you know, the Tennessee Valley Authority, all these, uh, there's these federally um, funded programs that put people to work, gave them high paying jobs and helped to really, you know, create the middle class in this country. So it's not as if, you know, calling for massive job creation um, to work to build out the clean energy infrastructure we need in this country is some far off thing. We need, as I said, it's 12 years is a really fast timeline. And so what people are saying is, you know, we need to take out all of these massive carbon emitting industries by 2030. That means that that change has to happen now. And as we know, Trump is in the White House saying it's a Chinese hoax. He says he's never even heard of a Category 5 storm. There's been five Category 5 storms since he's been president, you know, and he's saying he doesn't even believe in it. So I think that it's it's very important to look at the backdrop of all this. So when this debate was going on, of course, Dorian is hitting the uh, East Coast. And also we've seen these massive rainforest fires in the Amazon uh, in Brazil. So there's, you know, the, the reality of climate change is here right now. And that's why it's so grave and critical that um, that it be discussed, especially when we have a climate denying president. And the Republican Party is the only political party in the developed world that does not accept that climate change is a fact. Even, you know, the the conservatives, the the right wing in France and Germany and these other countries, they get it. You know, they get that they need to take action now because people are going to be displaced by sea level rise. There's going to be massive influxes of new immigrants because of climate catastrophe. Um, And that connects to another issue I wanted to talk about, which is the uh, issue of dealing with the housing crisis. Well, before you get to the housing crisis, so uh, based on what you heard last night, what you've read and follow up, give us like a thumbnail sketch on where which candidates, you know, the the contrasting attitudes and uh, philosophies and platforms that the candidates have on this important issue. Yeah, so the uh, I'd say that the a similar dynamic we've seen across the primary race so far really played out on that stage in that the candidates that kind of led the terms of the debate were really Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and honestly mainly Bernie because he's the one Greenpeace just came out with their new rankings on climate you know and they put Bernie number one Warren number two Bernie just came out with this uh, 16 trillion dollar climate plan that uh, achieves many of the goals that were set forth by groups like the Sunrise Movement which is a radical um, environmental group Um, but it also and by radical I mean they're radical in that they you know want to see comprehensive action to attack this problem it's not that they're you know outside the box Um, Warren also really set a standard in terms of um, how she focused on, you know, talking about the need to include um, equity when we talk about uh, uh, climate change. And then Joe Biden was stammering throughout the night, you know, uh, it was incomprehensible answers. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what his advisors told him, but the main uh, thing that I want to focus on is not just his performance, but the question he had that really put him on his back heels was that there was a report out about um, this guy, Andrew Goldman, who tonight 
Biden is scheduled to go to his uh, house for a fun, uh, high dollar fundraiser. This is a co-founder of a company, Western LNG, that is a natural gas company. He's a fossil fuel executive. You know, what Biden said is, oh, he's not as involved in the day-to-day operations. Well, he's a co-founder and he's definitely profiting from this company. And Biden was one of the candidates who signed this no fossil fuel pledge saying he's not going to take any money from the fossil fuel industry because Lord knows that's going to completely compromise your um, plans to take on the industry if then you're also raising money from these very same people. So he got asked about that. He gave some kind of non-answer saying what I said that he's not involved in the day to day and mm-hmm. da, da, da. but that's, you know, it, it just completely crystallizes. I think the dynamic in this race where Bernie Sanders is talking about, we need to criminally prosecute the fossil fuel executives that, you know, lot knowingly lied to the American public for decades. You know, they knew ExxonMobil knew about the effects of climate change since the 1970s. And yet they continued to invest in um, these extractive industries that wreaked havoc upon our planet. Whereas Joe Biden is going to raise money from the same types of people that um, were responsible for this crisis. So I think that it gives a general sketch of where where things were at. There's all the other candidates. I mean, one candidate that really loomed over it was Washington Governor Jay Inslee, yeah. who dropped out. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, his whole case for his campaign was that we need to prioritize climate change. And he's had a really big impact. And it's also pretty incredible that this event even happened. Of course, there was no actual climate debate, which is what... Um, many activists were calling for. Yeah. And part of that, the reason for that is because at the DNC two weeks ago, advisors to Joe Biden, including Simone Sanders, um, were the people that shut down the idea of having a climate debate in the first place. So the fact that CNN did this and they spent seven hours talking about uh, climate, 40 minutes each, I think is a pretty incredible thing. We wouldn't have seen that in 2016. Well, as you know, uh, a few weeks ago, I was uh, flirting with Kamala Harris drinking the Kool-Aid. Hold on, let me have another sip. Mm. <laughs> It's delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've been leaning more Bernie uh, yeah. these days. How did Kamala do? Uh, I thought she performed well. I mean, the the issue, I, I think, with um, what Harris was talking about is that, you know, she, she said we need a Green New Deal. And she focused on environmental justice and the situation of environmental racism, which isn't talked about enough, I don't think. I mean, there's a reason that Flint is where there's a water crisis and that water crisis isn't happening in Naperville. You know, it's because the effects of climate change disproportionately impact um, people of color and communities of color. And I think Kamala Harris gave really strong responses when it came to that. What um, I mean, I I didn't hear from her was uh, willingness to take on uh, market control over many of these industries, including utilities. And so we're having this fight here in Chicago right now over the new ComEd contract, you know, the what the city is going to negotiate right now. We don't have a public, you know, energy utility right now other plenty of other municipalities around the country do and so what Sanders plan calls for is the complete you know public uh, making all of these utilities public so that we are not depending or we don't have to pay energy bills on which we need to survive you know that's a cause of bankruptcy for low-income people as they can't pay their uh, their, their their energy bills that should not there shouldn't be a profit motive mm-hmm. attached to that you know we shouldn't be making money off of we, certain people should not be making money off of people not being able to get their their water or their electricity. I have a frustration with the debate uh, it, with climate change. It's similar to my frustration with the debate with healthcare, and it's similar to the debate over immigration. We talked about that the first Tuesday show on Tuesday. We had a show dedicated to immigration, and that is that this is these issues uh, are only being debated by the Democratic Party. Yeah. The Republican Party is so unrealistic. Yeah. 
on all three of those issues. But let's just keep it to climate change. I mean, they deny, 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 deny. And then every day it seems like, uh, like here's the, here, every day there's a new uh, story about a, a policy change uh, brought forth by the Trump administration that is harming the environment. New rollback would ease a ban on older light bulbs. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing with auto emissions mm-hmm. and same thing with coal uh, burning drilling plants. In the Arctic. Drilling in the Arctic. And then, and so they roll back these regulations that uh, that Obama, the, the Obama administration had implemented. And at the same time, Trump tweets out, this is a joke, this is a hoax. Uh, China's worse than we are. We're the best in terms of reducing emissions that you know wind turbines give you cancer cancer yeah so it's it's unbelievable it's really difficult because at some point miles we stop deba- debating among the democrats and you have to exchange ideas with the other party and if the other party does not even is not even willing to acknowledge that the problem exists it's very frustrating I suppose that Bernie's response would be to this. That's why we essentially need a revolution. Your, our good friend Micah comes in here and talks about uh, Bernie all the time yeah. in terms of it's not just me, it's it's us. It's, yeah. it's us. Uh, but I just feel as though and, and unless the Republicans come around and just offer anything, even a market-based plan, yeah. uh, it's just one party arguing among itself. I agree. I mean, that's the... Um, Result, I think, of massive lobbying by the fossil fuel industry on the Republican Party, and it's the result of um, the people in the party like Paul Ryan that have just given this complete, you know, uh, you know, he's no longer the speaker, but he was adamant about we need to only focus on these issues on which we can win, and uh, climate change isn't one of them, so we're going to just deny, 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 as you said, and that's the... Uh, you know, it's a recipe for devastation. I mean, the Republicans' grandchildren are going to be impacted by this as well. Their children, them, you know, <laughs> we're seeing the effects right now. So it's not as if anybody is safe. The difference is that Republicans, while they claim to be, you know, representing the real working man, they're the people that are bankrolling the party are the massive, uh, the most wealthy and elite people in our society. And they're the ones that are going to be able to withstand the impacts of climate change because they're building bunkers in Australia and, you know, having, you know, weatherized homes themselves. The, that's no way to, you know, set a future agenda for this country or for the globe. I think that that's complete. It's not just denialism. It's ultimately just uh, you know, saying I'm going to be able to handle the impacts of it. I'm going to, you know, survive through this stuff. And then, you know, they can deal with it once, you know, once I'm dead. Mm-hmm. And that's a sick way to approach politics. Yeah. It's kind of in, in that whole discussion. Uh, I mean, I, I talked about this last, I don't think you were here. Where I, I was talking about this Breitbart article I read. Uh, yeah, I read Breitbart. I, I do. I do. I read the other side and Breitbart article, very critical of the Obamas. I think, I don't know if you were on the show and I said this, but uh, the Obamas bought a house or mansion or whatever in Martha's Vineyard, an island off the coast of Massachusetts. And um, the Breitbart theme of the article was that is, I think it's oceanfront property. Yeah. So that's proves, follow me on this, I'm doing my best to do it as, mm-hmm. uh, do the, the best Breitbart I can thinks. with the Breitbart, yeah. Um, that proves that the Obamas agree with Trump that climate change is a hoax because they would never have paid $15 million or whatever for oceanfront property if they believe that climate change is real because if climate change is real, then one day the ocean will come over and absorb 
take over their property. <laughs> I might really. Well, it's an incredibly circular logic. For one, I'd say that I'm sure the families on Martha Vineyard are paying for seawalls to be built so that they will protect their oceanfront properties. That won't be the same for people living, you know, in Virginia or in South Carolina. The people that are able to prevent the worst impacts of climate change are always going to be the wealthiest and the whitest people because they're the ones that are able to afford the type of preventative measures. The same type of investments, mind you, that are being proposed on a national scale by Democrats and you know, by contenders like Warren and Sanders. The, the difference is Republicans only want that for them and their friends and their lobbyists. And that's the vision of the world that they um, that they have. And that's no way to, as I said, make policy, because, of course, there's no immediate term benefit to doing climate prevention. But that's why the Green New Deal is so important is because what it's saying is we can see we can make our lives better. You know, we can attach actual um uh, revenue to that will be redistributed to uh, everyday working class people by making the investments in jobs and uh, energy retrofitting that are necessary to counter climate change without just having to pay a price. Mm-hmm. You know, because it shouldn't be all about paying a price. People that pay the price, as we talked about, should be the people that have been profiting from uh, this industry for so long while knowing the impacts it's having on not just the planet, but, you know, as I said, people, there's people drinking, um, poisonous water in our country. That's, uh, there's gotta be a, uh, some, you know, some punishment for that. Mm -hmm. And the people that should be punished should not be poor and working class people that did not ever benefit from us having um, a fossil fuel industry in this country. We're definitely watching this one uh, unfold as the uh, year goes on because I'm not quite certain how the the whole issue of the environment and climate change plays politically in the Democratic primary. Uh, My sense of it, it's one of those issues that does well in those quote-unquote swing districts like where Lauren Underwood was victorious Mm -hmm. and Sean Kasten was victorious. And those are the same districts where we're being told that to win those voters, follow me on the logic here, Miles, the Democrats have to uh, nominate a Joe Biden centrist. Uh, Joe Biden centrist, it seems to be antithetical to the notion that we should be really progressive and out front on fighting climate change. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, it, it is a mixed message that's getting out there. Well, I think that that's why the DNC, honestly, and the party elites didn't want to have this debate is because they think it's going to make them vulnerable in the general election. What I would say to that is, you know, Donald Trump, it's not that the American people believe climate change is a hoax, but Donald Trump just, you know, said it confidently and was strident and just attacked his opponent and presented himself as a friend of the working people. You know, it's not as if he's winning the argument or the Republicans are winning the argument by any means. The American people understand that, the, you know, when we're seeing these uh, massive droughts and we're seeing, you know, flooding on other yeah. parts of the country or seeing these rainforest fires, that there's a problem on our hands and that we need to solve it. And I think they're going to vote for the people that say, hey, I'm going to not only solve this problem, but make your life better in um, the process of it. And that's the promise of the Green New Deal. And I don't think Trump's going to win that argument in 2020. Miles Kempflassen from In These Times. So we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to switch gears, talk about housing and maybe do a little talk about the upcoming. Well, I'm not saying upcoming strike, but the ongoing negotiations between the teachers union and the Chicago Public Schools. Be right back. 
Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J E F F M as in Mary, A N as in Nancy, U E L P I A N I S T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. In just over 100 days, we have not solved every problem, but we have laid a foundation on which we can build a better, fairer, and more prosperous Chicago for all. And let me share some of the things we have done so far. I vowed to you during the campaign that I would be a better fiduciary of your tax dollars, and we are well on our way. First, we started the process of bringing integrity back to government. You know that on my first day in office, I signed an executive order ending the practice known as aldermanic prerogative. Next, we passed one of the most comprehensive ethics reform packages in recent memory. These included placing restrictions on outside employment, expanding oversight to ensure every elected official plays by the same rules, increasing fines for ethics violations, and limiting the influence of lobbyists in City Hall. How does government reform and integrity relate to city finances? Well, if you don't have a government that you trust, one that has legitimacy, 
We cannot move forward together, making the tough but necessary decisions that will transform our future. A government that you can trust because we operate transparently is a core tenet of our democracy. These reforms that we have made are a critical component of showing you, not just saying it, but showing you. We heard you, and we will be better fiscal stewards of your hard-earned tax dollars. And we hear you, Lori Lightfoot, loud and clear. Your Ben Jarofsky Show, hour number two for Thursday, September 5th, is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and bringing back our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Thursday, September 5th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we still got in these times writer Miles Kompflassen in studio, and it's our monthly property tax tutorial with property tax guru Andrea Rayla. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Miles still in the studio, Andrea on her way. Property taxes will be the subject of that conversation, folks. As we say, get out the paper, get out the pencil. We're going to take the deep dive, explain a lot about how this works. In my humble opinion, it's time we blow it up, blow the tiffs up, blow property taxes up, because it's just forcing a lot of middle class and working class people out of the city of Chicago, and it is an unfair fair, regressive way to fund education. We say education is the most important thing and the children are the most important thing. Oh, if it's so important, why do we depend on such a rickety system like the property tax system to fund it? Think about that for a moment, folks. So that's uh, coming up with uh, Andrea Rayler. She's on her way. Still got Miles Conflassen uh, in the studio from In These Times. And uh, Miles, uh, let's talk about this uh, housing uh, plan, People's Action Housing Plan, intriguing plan. I think it's the subject of an article you're going to be doing coming up? Yeah, I'm working on a, a piece about this uh, plan right now because this is really the most um, ambitious housing proposal I've seen put forward yet this year, and it's not from a 2020 candidate. It's from a um, organization called People's Action uh, as an office here in Chicago, but it's a national group, and they focus on all types of social justice issues and organizing. They just did a big campaign recently reaching out to um, rural voters, the type of voters who swung from um, Obama to Trump in 2016, working to kind of bring them back into the fold, talk to them about their issues and things. But what, you know, the organization has been working on for a while is putting out this uh, housing platform called a Homes Guarantee. And it is uh, out right now. It just debuted today. Their um, website, I think you can read the plan, is homesguarantee.com. And it's really fascinating because what we've seen a few candidates put forward housing plans. Elizabeth Warren put one out a few uh, weeks ago. And other candidates are uh, doing that as well. But it relates to such a central part of everybody's lives, which is where you live and how you pay for it. Um, Right now, we have 
a situation where, especially when it comes to renters, half of renters in this country are cost burdened, which means they, you know, pay more um, than they should, about 30% of their costs on rent, and about a quarter are paying almost half of their income just on their rent mm-hmm. in this country. Um, that's a quarter of, let's just run that by, because let's not get that yeah. lost, because uh, Dennis okay. always asked about renters and how they're impacted by property taxes. So say yeah. that one more time. So in this country, half of, um, about half of all renters are cost burdened, which means they're paying more than 30% of their income, 30% or more of their income on rents. Um, a quarter of all renters are paying um, over 50% wow. of their income on their rent. So that... As you can imagine, you know, your your monthly paycheck, you're making a thousand bucks, $500 of that is going to your rent. That leaves you with very little left to pay for everything else in your your life. So, so and of course we have, you know, in Chicago, as the Chicago Chicago Coalition for the Homeless says, we have 80,000 people living out on the streets. Um, That is, uh, I think, a crisis, you know, that needs to be dealt with. And as we've all talked about people's property taxes are going up, the cost of living is increasing, the you know, cost of property is increasing. And the people that are benefiting from this, you know, there's so much speculation happening, right? We see this, especially downtown in the South Loop, but across the city and across the country is real estate companies and developers and speculators buy up massive amounts of land and they build either luxury real estate that only is meant to benefit people that can afford, you know, rents of $2,500 a month, $5,000 a month, insane uh, sums, or they just buy them up and they sit on them to raise uh, the value of the property, essentially. But it's all fictitious because people aren't actually living in those homes. Mm-hmm. And that is such a backwards way of approaching uh, housing in this country. And it's the system that is set up. And again, you know, there's private market forces behind that. Some of them are just sitting empty as like Airbnbs. And these real estate companies are basically serving as hoteliers where they're, you know, allowing certain people to stay there for insane amounts of money that then they're uh, making profit off of. And while that's happening, as I said, you know, you see people sleeping on the streets. There's an incredible amount of homelessness in this country, especially amongst veterans, which is a really sad state of affairs. Um, But also, public housing has been so radically disinvested in, especially in Chicago, where under Renaissance uh, 2010 and Plan for Transformation under Daly, the, um, and then carried out under ROM as well, we saw public housing shut down, you know, the Robert Taylor homes, Caprini Green, all this public housing yeah. torn down. Meanwhile, the CHA is sitting on, um, they have a huge back, backlog mm-hmm. of people that want to live in public housing or sec- get Section 8 vouchers, and they're sitting on millions of dollars yeah. in their coffers that they are just not investing in building any new housing. And the result of that is that people are moving to, you know, the exurbs and, you know, moving to Markham and other parts of Chicagoland area because they can't afford to live in Chicago anymore. And there's that public housing just didn't exist. There were promises and mixed income housing in the city, but it just is not uh, the case. And meanwhile, gentrification is causing um, massive uh, displacement of especially communities of color. So that's kind of the, you know, a, a local context for this national crisis and why this plan is so um, ambitious because it calls for building 12 million units uh, across the country of social housing. And this is, you know, public housing is part of it, but social housing is basically a public option. So you could be owned by a nonprofit, it could be owned by the federal government, but it also could be a co-op or a community land trust. These are, um, 
you know, entities that exist across the country that work to provide housing without making a profit off of the people staying there. So the rent is basically at cost. So people are paying what it takes to upkeep the building. Um, and, you know, there's federal grants that can support that. But it also calls the plan calls for reinvesting in public housing. So retrofitting the housing that does exist. And importantly, I think retrofitting it so that it's low energy use, because right now so much of this public housing was built decades ago. It's a huge strain on the environment, but it doesn't have to be that way. We retrofit buildings all the time. We could do that with our public housing, too. Um, but th- so there's an environmental component to it and a racial justice component to it as well, because, you know, because of redlining and the legacy of all, so many racist housing mm-hmm. uh, programs in this country, especially in Chicago, where redlining was really debuted. Um, it's just been um, a way to sink black wealth and and not allow them uh, black families to have assets. Yeah, so this is a federal uh, approach to a problem that I generally, when I write about it, I generally concentrate on the local. And uh, in fact, so much of our subsidies are going in the opposite direction. Uh, Instead of subsidizing the creation of affordable housing, the city of Chicago has been subsidizing the creation of upscale housing. That's why I'm always railing about these TIF deals. Uh, Now, I've seen this on a national level as well. I don't know if you follow the story. We haven't really talked about it on this show, about the opportunity zones that have been created under the last uh, Trump tax bill, which essentially allow uh, people to get, investors to get big tax breaks for investing in upscale projects. So it's not a project. This is exactly the opposite of what you're talking about. These... uh, Uh, subsidies essentially are promoting a gentrified market or an upscale market at the risk of everybody else. That just forces up rents, property taxes, et cetera, and so forth. Yeah. And much like TIFs, they are sold as helping blighted communities. So there was a big uh, story in the New York Times this Sunday about this very issue and what these opportunity zones actually look like in process now that the tax bill's been law for a while. And the people that they point out that are making massive amounts of money off of it are Jared Kushner, you know, the president's son-in-law yeah. and Anthony Scaramucci, his now opponent, I guess, but uh, Trump's former communications director who owns um, a real estate development yeah. company. And, and Chris Christie, former governor. And Chris Christie is as well, another uh, former supposed <laughs> Trump opponent. You know, these yeah. same guys are, are the ones making all the money off yeah. of this opportunity zone. So you're very right to point out that that is kind of the um, yeah, polar we're opposite. Counter, that's where we're heading right now. And so this, again, comes back to, uh, is this a winnable issue? a politically feasible issue. I'm, I'm not certain about that. You know, I have to think it through. I know here in the city of Chicago, basically the policies of the Rahm Emanuel administration were to uh, feed the gentrification of the city. And that was, he picked that up from daily and making Chicago more expensive. Uh, I don't care what Mayor Rahm or Daly say, that's a, the effective uh, impact of their p- plans. So I don't know. People in Chicago seem to want that. At the same time, they don't want hi- higher property taxes. They're kind of all over the map, uh, Miles. And I don't know which way they're going to vote when it comes to voting on this issue. Would they support a plan like well, that? Well, one thing that we'll, uh, we've already seen voted on, though, is uh, the issue of rent control, which is being um, pushed very heavily in the city. It's one issue where there's, you know, there's a coalition called Lift the Ban, mm-hmm. and they are working to, as a lot of folks know, there's a law from 1997 signed in Springfield that basically preempted any local rent control laws. And this was a law that was uh, lobbied heavily by the real estate industry, which is massively powerful in Springfield. Um, And they they got that through in the 90s. Because of that, nowhere in Illinois are you allowed to institute rent control. Um, 
that's uh, definitely an outlier. This was an, a, a bill that was pushed by the American Legislative Exchange Council, this shadowy group that writes all this right-wing legislation and gets it passed mm-hmm. across the country. Uh, anyway, so there's a movement in Chicago right now to lift that ban and allow us to have rent control. Uh, that's another element of this uh, Homes Guarantee housing platform is universal rent control, which is essentially just a way to say we, you know, there needs to be a base level. What people will cry out and say, oh, it's going to hurt landlords, going to hurt, you know, the people that are, you know, just own a few properties. That's not true, and at least in the bills that are currently being considered, the bills that would establish rent control in uh, Illinois, they uh, have carve-outs for people that own just a few properties, and they really are going after these mega developers, the same kind of people that are um, making massive sums of money off of spiking up rents. There's no rent control, so you know, one from one lease to the next, yeah. your rent could go up 500 <laughs> percent, and yeah. because of, and it, and they do, and that's why we have displacement of families because they say I can't afford this anymore. I'm you know moving out to the suburbs or I'm moving to you know another state. That's not good for Chicago. No, this or is a this favorite state. theme we have. When Maya Tukmasova from the reader, my beloved or Chicago yeah. reader, my colleague is on, we talk about this a lot. She's written a lot about this, uh, and uh, there was just a story in the paper today about a study that came out about the impact of the Obama Center uh, proposed for uh, J- Jackson Park on yeah. the South Side, and the impact that it's had on uh, housing prices in and around the area, Woodlawn, etc., and so forth. So yeah, it's a bit. It's another big decision uh, that Lori Lightfoot is. Running on the local level, uh, you know, how much does she weigh in in the market to try to preserve housing, f- uh, affordable housing, how, or how much does she uh, propel the market forward as uh, Daly and Rom did to encourage upscale gentrified um development. It's just a real struggle here. And and it's being played out. So the reason I, you know, brought up rent control is that there already have been these referendums that are on the ballot. They're non-binding, but Mm -hmm. in a number of precincts, they uh, have that in in recent elections. Would you, you know, support rent control, lifting the ban on rent control? They passed overwhelmingly, almost, you know, um, I think in some cases, over three quarters of voters supported it. So it's not as if this is really a contested issue. I think most voters... This is a problem in the city of Chicago right there. I I mean, when you when when activists get a non-binding referendum on the ballot, uh, you get a sense of what people in, at their in their hearts exactly. want. There's no it, it, there's no direct uh, consequence to voting yes. So, for instance, I remember them all. There was rent control, elected school board, uh, it, uh, minimum wage, mm-hmm. and folks, yeah, I want a minimum wage. Uh, but once you get into that. Uh, city council and there's competing interests and there's lobbying against it. It turns public opinion. The Chicago Tribune starts editorializing about it. You know, the other side flexes its muscle, becomes a fight. And our mayors generally, (laughs) they get a little wobbly when it gets into that fight and they go the other way. And, and, you Uh, know, Lori Lightfoot for, you know, to to be clear, (laughs) she never came out in support of rent control during the campaign, which is something that, you know, her opponent, Tony Preckwinkle was outspoken about. So I don't think that's, that's one area she was always able to kind of navigate around and she would talk about investing in affordable housing, but she would not come out in support of that. So I think that that's a real test as well as to see, is she going to meet this progressive activist base in the city where they're at and say, you know, clearly the voters are with you. Rent control is what they want. I'm going to back it. I'm going to support you in Springfield. Or is she going to say no, because that's what the real estate, once the real estate industry comes in, as, as you said, starts lobbying. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a fight. And I, and, and I, and 
it's let's be clear uh the issue of housing i do not believe was a driving force in the uh, 2019 mayoral election mm-hmm. it was it was not what propelled corruption yeah it was corruption was the issue and Lori lightfoot uh, was actually absolutely the vote for change because she was first time she's a rookie running uh speaking of local issues i know you got to get out of here but uh let's cannot let you leave without uh we talked about your prediction of tonight's bears game Mm -hmm. uh what's also unfolding in our uh, city is negotiations or our negotiations between the chicago teachers union and chicago public schools uh, Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, controls the Chicago Public Schools. She points the board. Uh, so what's your prediction? Do you think uh, they're going to be able to cut a deal? Or do you think we are going to have a teacher strike? Well, what uh, happened last night is the uh, CTU House of Delegates voted to set a vote, a date for a strike, uh, strike authorization vote. So um, that basically means it's one step closer to there being a strike. They certainly have not voted to strike. The negotiations are ongoing, as you said, but they set um, a strike date vote. And so the earliest they could strike then would be October 6th. Um, it's coming up very soon. And to me, it really looks like there's a wide gulf right now on a number of issues. And it's not about the basic kitchen table uh, stuff of pay and, you know, what you might expect for contract negotiations to be stuck on. It's about wraparound services and how to fully uh, resource our schools so that we have, uh, you know, actual librarians and nurses. What the Lightfoot administration offered recently was a plan to say we're not going to privatize any more of these, you know, nurses and custodians, something that happened certainly under Rahm Manuel. But they're not giving enforceable contract language. They're making promises. And I think that the union is rightly skeptical because of the history of how promises have been broken by past administrations, because you say, I'm going to do this. You don't put it in the contract because contracts obviously are enforceable. You don't put it in the contract. And then you say, oh, we have a budget crisis. So I'm not going to be able to fulfill that. We're going to push that down the road. And so I think the union is worried that that is what is going to happen. And the only way you can get real wins that you can rest on and bring back to your membership and say, hey, we won this is by getting it into the contract. And until the two sides get closer on those issues of, you know, librarians of, and and that's basic stuff. I mean, there was an op-ed in the Sun-Times today uh, about a teacher who was part of the 2012 strike who ended up moving to suburbs now. But she said, you know, I work in the suburban school district and I there's a nurse in every school. There's, you know, there's a social worker in every school. There's multiple social workers in the schools. The kids don't have to worry about getting bus to school there. You know, it's different in different communities. And why do we not have that kind of world-class education here in Chicago? And it's a fair question to ask, yeah. I think. And why can't we provide that? And the strike question, I think, is important because a strike is the most potent weapon that any labor union has because it's saying, I'm going to withhold my labor until you meet my demands. That was seen as you know, way outside the box many years ago. But in 2012, the CTU uh, changed the conversation and showed how contract gains can be made through using that tactic. Of course, there's cost to it. You know, kids are going to miss school. I don't think anybody wants to strike. I don't think that that's, you know, the goal of teachers. But certainly if you when you're striking and you're not striking for your own pay, but you're striking for your students conditions for lower class sizes, that changes the argument a little bit because it's not it's it's clear that you're not doing it for your own good you're doing it for the social good and that's i think what will be the argument by teachers if they do strike and and uh we'll we'll close down this conversation with this i 
I have a hard time believing that there will be a strike over uh, non-economic uh, issues. So they're they're relatively close on the pay. Yeah. It's these um, the issues of staffing and whether the staffing will be guaranteed by union contract and whether those employees will be members of the Chicago Teachers Union. And those are very important issues because that's a commitment that CPS is making to schools for like librarians and nurses. And one I've thing to say, never is seen that, a strike over something like that. That would be. Yeah, it would first. be pretty wild. But what we've also just saw in L.A., the teachers went on strike and they won better. They won lower class sizes. They won better resources for their mm-hmm. schools and they won higher pay. So I think that there are examples of that. Also, we should say while there's been plenty of cries of the city is broke and you know we have this eight hundred billion dollar uh, uh, financial hole. The city is the CPS actually has billion dollars more this year because of changes in the state funding. So when you know these are all arguments, you can always make the case that we don't have enough money. But if you don't reform the system to provide a better uh, better educational experiences for students in Chicago, you're going to defund Chicago public schools. And that is no way to invest in the future of the city. That's what that's, you know, the, the whole idea of a city on a hill is that, you know, John Dewey and everything where America is special because we do invest in public education and allow any student, uh, any child to access education services. And if they don't have basic, I mean, as has been brought up many times, there's really horrific levels of, uh, segregated violence in this city and that impacts students, um, the same students that are going to these public schools so deeply. And then if they go to school and they don't have a counselor, they don't have a social worker, they don't have anybody to talk to, that's going to reflect their educational experiences and those of their classmates, especially when you're cramming, you know, 35 kids into a classroom together. One student can derail the whole thing. So I think we got to think about things from not only the uh, teacher's perspective, but the student's perspective in this. And what we saw in 2012, the, the students were out there on the pick lines with the teachers so i think that that's you know there is goodwill built up amongst the um, school populations and the public in general but that'll be a big test if there is a strike is how much is the public on board and are they gonna you know stand with uh, the teachers right now and does Lori lightfoot want that to be how she starts her yeah i don't think so and i could say right now that the difference between uh the way Lori and uh, rom approach the teachers is pretty dramatic uh she's not nearly as combative as Rom was. Yeah. Uh, so listen, I was wrong about that last teacher strike. I, predicted, I, I said there's Obama's going to force Rom to cut a deal because he's not going to want to have to run for re-election with a strike in Chicago. Boy, was I wrong in mm-hmm. that one. Teachers have been making fun of me ever since. Uh, but that's, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little reluctant to go out on a limb again and proclaim there will be no strike, but I certainly hope uh, there will not be in that. Uh, Lori will make some concessions yeah. uh, on these issues of wraparound services. Miles um, Kampflassen, thank you so much for coming in. He comes in every Thursday from In These Times. Before we go, can I give a little shout out? Oh, um, my uh, two dear friends, Ari and Angela, are getting married oh, this weekend. Right. I'm okay. going to be in the wedding party, so I just wanted to say congrats. Love you both. All right. Okay. And he's going to be dancing, doing the boogaloo, uh, Miles. I don't know if I'm going to do the boogaloo, but I'll do... What's the boogaloo? <laughs> boogaloo? Come on. We got to get some older guests in here. What's the boogaloo? I know Doris Davenport knows what the boogaloo is. Andrea Rayla knows okay, what the boogaloo okay. is. Maybe I'll be doing uh, the boogaloo. And uh, Mr. Precious knows what the boogaloo is. So anyway, uh, Miles, thanks so much for coming in. Andrea Rayla's on deck. She's getting ready to talk property taxes. As I said, get the paper and pencils out, folks. We're taking a deep dive. We'll be right back after this.
Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. This is a awfully big body of water. We're looking for a needle in a haystack. And we're talking about a needle that moves constantly. He's checked the floating traps he hand curated. Right now is a combination of drumsticks, rats, and uh, smelt. Yum. Well, as far as the gator goes, that's a pretty good offering. We're hoping that the, the wind blowing the scent across the water will catch his attention. We're all speculating on, on whether he grew up in somebody's you know bathtub or backyard or something. He's enjoying the, the five feet of water. He probably was raised in six inches. If we could find the animal, we can capture the animal. So what we did instead was rolled up our sleeves and got to work to address this fiscal crisis. We focused on creating a foundational shift in the way that the city not only balances its budget, but also in the way in which we looked to the future. First by, in the short term, creating structural efficiencies in the way we spend your tax dollars. Laying the foundation for a strategy that shifts the focus to investing in our people, our neighborhoods, and not just in our central business district. We are working to create a real growth strategy that deals everyone in, regardless of neighborhood or zip code. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Yes, that's billion with a B. It's the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right, it's made entirely out of butter and it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had 
two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for um, like, if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, it's amazing. Furniture, appliances, uh, candles, all kinds of things at Green Element Resale. I'm looking at it right now. Ooh, a lot of books. Uh, for instance, how about many weapons... M-I-N-I, Many Weapons of Mass Destruction. That's a book that could possibly be a green element resale right now. Looking at the picture there on the website. It's a fantastic place. 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. Open from Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. until 7 p.m. Sunday, 12 until 7 p.m. And you can find more information at GreenElementResale.com. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, stop in and say thank you. Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway. Learn more at GreenElementResale.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Broadway between Granville and Devon is Andrea Rayla country. That's what I consider Andrea Rayla country. Andrea Rayla right. lives around there, as I recall. That's it, exactly right. And I've given furniture to them. Oh, is that right? Yes. Okay, oh, I, wow. I'm they not surprised. come by, they pick up, and they... Take it away. Uh, Andrea Rayla is a property tax expert. She ran for assessor uh, in 20, get me get the year right, 2018. Uh, full disclosure, I voted for her. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> got all my Fritz Kagey friends mad at me, and they got so mad at me. Uh, 147,326 voted for me. Okay, there you go. You got an update for me, D? Absolutely. From Popeyes to property taxes coming up, but just one second here. Two <laughs> updates. It was the big story locally Wednesday. Federal charges were dropped against former U.S. Rep. Aaron Schock. Ben, your overall thoughts on that, by the way? Yeah, I'm like, they dropped a, boy, this is more of a Doris Davenport discussion, but they dropped the charges against Aaron Schock, but they went ahead with the charges on Jesse Jackson Jr. I don't know what's going on here. When I read what Shock did, and when I read what Jackson did, where they were using their offices and the powers they had for their own personal benefit, I'm like, what is the difference? So why would you, you know, go hard on just? I'm not condoning what uh, Junior did or what his wife did, you know, but why punish one and let the other one go free? So oh, no pun um, intended. Sounds like you were a little shocked. Oh, so the following actually, not that shocked <laughs> by that kind of stuff. The following comes from Twitter and avid Ben Jarofsky show listener slash field reporter Frank. Hey, Frank, how's it going? What up, Frank? This tweet comes from wife of former and now jailed Governor Rob Blagojevich, who remember uh, Blagojevich currently serving 14 years in prison and eh, for trying to sell Barack Obama's Senate seat back in the day. This comes from Patty Blagojevich. She tweeted today, wire, or this is in regard to shock, wire fraud, mail fraud, falsifying documents, theft of government money, tax evasion, 
Zero days in jail. All charges dropped. This is all in caps. All charges dropped. It's sweetheart deal with the feds. I can't even wrap my head around this six months of probation versus 14 years for Rod. Where is the outrage? Well, okay, I'm not. All right, Patty Bogoyevich uh, and I see eye to eye on one thing for certain. I do believe that 14 years was too much. I believe they should let Rod Bogoyevich go. I understand why he's in, in prison for so long. He aggravated the hell out of the prosecutors and the judge with his antics. Uh, he showed no remorse. And now Patty Bogoyevich and Rod Bogoyevich would say, I, why should I show remorse if I don't think I did anything? Fair enough. Seven years he's been in prison, I want to say. Is that right, Doris? Seven years? Let it go already, okay? Let him out of prison. I don't see I don't see any purpose served by having Rod Bogoyevich in prison. If you want, make him come back and do community service. The guy's a lawyer. You know, he can help people out. He can help people with the property taxes. How about that? I and, agree. And, I agree. I think it's been a long time. Long time. Put him to use. The guy's got some skills. and uh, Make him teach at the public school system. We are going about to have a strike. Let him go and teach history. Wow. Rod Bogoyevich teaching in the Chicago public. That, he can, Why not? I, I wouldn't have him teach ethics, but but, I may. but in the but in high school. <laughs> no, yeah, um, but but I that's listen. I maybe he should be a coach in the Chicago public school system or something. Any you know he could teach about or oratorical skills. The guy's a great speaker. Put him the use. Peeping him locked up in in Colorado is just ridiculous. It's a waste of money and it's just overdone. So I'm with. I can't think of anything I've ever agreed with uh, Patty Bogoyevich on, but I'm with her on this one. Let him go. All right. And this uh, story here is a perfect uh, setup for our next guest here. The Cook County Board of Review has referred to the state's attorney. It's investigation of oh, Cubs yeah. co-owner Todd Ricketts' property tax appeal on his designer Wilmette home after concluding that Ricketts and his real estate lawyer made, quote, misrepresentations that lowered tax bill by tens of thousands of dollars. You you guys just take uh, it from right. There. Andrea Rail is in the studio. Uh, yeah, I got to give the Tribune a shout out. They had the front page story. Here it is for our viewers. Uh, Ricketts assessment appeal to Fox office. Andrea, did you get a chance to read this story by any chance? Yes. All right. So we've talked about this uh, a lot on our show. Just a brief recap. Uh, Todd Ricketts, who is uh, one of the members of the Ricketts family that owns the Chicago Cubs, also a big time Republican. I believe he was a fundraiser for Trump at one point or at uh, Field. Uh, uh, yeah, they did that little fundraiser at Wrigley Field. Really boiled me, got me boiled, boiling mad. And I'm an old Cub fan, uh, but whatever. You know, I guess uh, that, that's let's just put that one aside. What a I don't know what to call it. I guess scam. And he he had a uh, an ordinary house in uh, what is it? Winnetka or Wilmette? I'm missing. Wilmette. Wilmette tore it down, built a larger house, a mansion. And uh, was still using the old house as the basis uh, for <laughs> his property tax bill. And now he's like, oh, I didn't really, I did it for years. Uh, the, get to give the trip credit. They dug it out. Health Arctic, give him credit. Shout out to Health Arctic, investigative reporter for the Tribune. Uh, and now the county's coming after him. So what's your sense of this? Well, uh, this is the third story, the series of three. And there were the first two stories. They had quoted me in it. And as I said before, you know, the county is riddled with poor square footage problems, no property record cards for half of the homes. Homes that are, have photographs that are on 2007 and 2008, mm -hmm. you know, no, no updates 
And we talked about, you know, how we need to get money into the assessor system so we can update this. But they're still riding with quail pens and, and feathers. I'm, it, I, it's just awful. And this is a county that collects $29 billion in property taxes every year. $29 billion, and it's going up and up. They can't allocate another $20 million to get the better IT and staffing that they need to turn it into a 21st century assessment. All right, let me ask you about that. Okay, so in this particular instance, and I'm basing everything on Hal Dardick's investigation. One more time, give a shout out to Hal Dardick of the Tribune. But in his investigation, he points out that the, um, I'll read it to you directly, that the, the, the Ricketts were submitted uh, their taxes, their, their property. Here we go. As part of the paperwork, the Ricketts lawyer submitted a 2007 photo of Ricketts' old house pulled from the assessor's website. While the website listed the date of the photo, the photo that the lawyer filed omitted the date. The tax appeal board says it, quote, finds troubling the elimination of the date stamp. So what they're getting at is essentially fraud and misleading the assessor and misleading the county on the value of the property and so therefore the lower the value uh, the less he pays so how can modern well how will modernizing the system uh, protect us against such blatant uh, accusations if you will of fraud well you know in lake county they have up-to-date photos we look at that house you see it in the real time mm-hmm. it, and they get it from google maps they also have the property sketch the actual survey the outline that's all connected through google maps and having a gis system that can all be done the assessor says that he's going to implement that but you know he's 200 and what 300 days in office and it's it nothing has been done so we're going to see more stories like this i'm sure but this is a high, high profile property owner and it's hard to believe that the staff at the law firm would not be, you know, told that this is a high-profile law, you know, uh, client. Um, so the Board of Review took it upon themselves to submit the evidence as a request to the state's attorney to investigate whether there was um, fraud there because the Board of Review does not have the power to uh, ask for um something under oath. I don't know if the board is overstepping their boundaries to do that and send it to the state's attorney, but they do have the right to send things as a complaint to the ARDC, the Attorney Disciplinary Committee. And they sent that attorney right over there. He's going to be reviewed. And of course, the state's attorney is going to look at whether or not they should open up an investigation on this. But again, I think that we're all, you know, victimized by very poorly run an underservice tax system that cannot even give you the outline drawing of your home and know how long, how large it is or not. And as I told Hal Dardick when he interviewed me mm-hmm. in the in, in this story, I said I had a commercial property owner that built a an extra Quonset warehouse, a, a, like a Quonset hut, and he had a commercial um, pallet a company. He's still active in in uh, uh, the River North area. Uh, or, or west of that, the Fulton Market area. When he built it, he built it on the parcel. It had a couple of other improvements, not much. The next triennial, he got a 180% increase in all of his properties. So he assumed that they taxed this new property. Later, he gets a letter, seven or 10 years later, 
we didn't know that you built your Quonset hut on there. We're going to back tax you. We want you to pay $160,000 for the last 10 years that you underpaid because we didn't know your Quonset hut was on there. Now, that's wrong, and we went down to Springfield, and they wanted him to pay it in six months. Uh, no, actually, at that time, within 30 days. So we went down to Springfield, and we said, look, you're back taxing this guy for 10 years. You don't even give homeowners exemptions back for the until, for less three years if you miss your homeowners exemption. Let's rein that in and also make the assessor value these properties when he gets a building permit or a sale. And uh, so we changed the, the law that allowed people to actually challenge when they get an omitted assessment, challenge it to say, is the value too high? And can I change you know, that value and go forward and pay my penalties? But that was a good example. All right, so just uh, to let everybody know uh, that when anybody like Ricketts gets a has a lower assessment uh, and then he should have based on where he's actually living. If anybody is taking advantage of the fact that the county assessor thinks that your house is a shack when it is actually a mansion, uh, everybody else pays for that because the property tax is ba- your property tax is, is largely based to a certain degree on everybody else's property tax. The lower, if Andrea gets a break and she pays less, I got to pay more to compensate. So that's why it's important. Now, now, Andrea, what you were getting at with the story you told and the, the issue that I was talking about with Ricketts, um, it's one thing, and that is how the system is, how do I put this? Uh, you need an expert to find your way through the system. The system is set up like if you know where the loopholes are, if you know where the cracks and the crevices are. Oh God, I've been writing about this for years, Andrea Rayla. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know how to take advantage of it, you can have a lower tax. If you don't know, your tax will be relatively higher because you haven't taken advantage. That's unfair. And people like you can come on the shows and you can uh, be, do interviews with Health Arctic and explain uh, what you have to do to make your way around the system. Uh, but that just helps that one person person that finds his way to you do you follow what i'm saying right meanwhile there's just these inequities are far greater you can't save every property taxpayer in the city of chicago or cook county as busy as you may be do you agree with me absolutely and uh you know it it would be you know we have 1.8 million parcels of property mm-hmm. over 50 percent of them are homes okay this is in cook county in cook county mm-hmm. 1.8 million and over 50% are homes. We only have 15 field inspectors that can go out and examine residential homes. And I think they have 10 for commercial. We need a lot more than that, but we also need an updated IT system that can you know, go after home owners and commercial property owners if their assessments are not on the rolls. And there used to be a huge increase in the, uh, an effort in getting assessments on the, back on the rolls through the omitted assessment process. And uh, there was a big uptick in the James Houlihan administration. Mm-hmm. They were sending out thousands of letters to homeowners and to commercial property owners saying, you don't have everything on your assessment rolls. Those have not happened in, in years. There, I we actually f- sent a Freedom of, of Information Act request to the assessor saying, how many omitted assessment yeah. letters have gone out this year? No answer. Yeah. And we've submitted that. We submitted that during the Joseph Berrios administration. How many omitted assessment notices have gone out this year? 
no answer, and we've sent, submitted it to the new administration. Okay, uh, but the, the assessors just love you to death. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the other issue, of course, is that uh, we are so dependent. This is larger than your ability to uh, win uh, a reduction in your assessment. Again, again, folks, just a basic 101 of tax property taxes. Here's how it works. The Cook County Assessor gives your home a value. Uh, that, that let's say they say your home is worth a hundred thousand dollars. I always make it simple. And then there's a tax rate, which is the, the, the rate that the county applies, uh, to your value to raise money, to fund services. Let's say it's 10%. Let's just make it easy. So 10% of a hundred thousand dollars. What is that? Uh, my math's not good. Doris Davenport, what's 10% of a hundred thousand dollars? 10,000. 10,000. Thank you, Andrea Rayla. Uh, that's 10,000. That means your property tax is $10,000. If you get your property tax lowered to assessment to 50,000, then your tax bill at 10% would be 5,000. So the lower your assessment, the lower uh, your tax rate. What's happening in uh, Cook County and the city of Chicago, in my humble opinion, is that the value uh, of a home is not directly related to a person's ability to pay the property tax. So you may have purchased your home many years ago when it was only worth, let's say, 100 grand. Now it's worth a million. The county thinks you're a gazillionaire who could afford a million-dollar home when, in fact, you just some regular Joe who got in on it earlier. This is bigger, don't you think, Andrea, than... It, it's a systemic problem, and it's been a problem for over 40 years we addressed it in 1992 with our study called the Illinois Property Tax System, Taxation mm -hmm. Without Representation. Civic Federation commissioned us to do that. We showed all the numbers, coefficient of dispersion problems and, and the sales ratio problems, and they mirrored the last May 2017 study that was uh, released in the Tribune. Interesting that, you know, people say that, you know, we in Illinois have the worst state-run our property taxes are the highest, et cetera. We have the greatest deficit. We really don't. It's New Jersey and Kentucky that have the greater deficit pension problems, mm -hmm. and then we're third. But we have the second highest property taxes. I was in California at my friend's house in Studio City, 3,800 square feet, high on the hill, beautiful swimming pool, beautiful home. Her tax bill was $11,000. The market value is at, set at $2.8 million. I have a home. The market value is set at six hundred and sixty thousand. It's one hundred and twenty years old, and and hers is eighty-seven years old. And my tax bill is twelve thousand nine hundred. And this is in the and it, it wait. So even, tell me about you pay twelve thousand nine hundred. Your friend in California pays how much? Eleven thousand two hundred. So gotcha. And and her square footage is thirty-eight hundred. Mine is twenty-eight hundred. I'm on a, I'm, a, I'm on 6,000 square feet of land. She's on a quarter of an acre. Well, California back in the day, 1970s, I may be the only one in this room who remembers this, uh, passed uh, a freeze. The voters at a Pat Quinn-like referendum statewide uh, passed a freeze. I forget what the... What Proposition 13. Somebody else may but remember it. But it, it was sparked by the fact that yeah. seniors and people that were in their 60s could not afford to hang on to their homes anymore. They were actually having their homes taken away from them. There was a huge de tax delinquency in people buying their taxes, and that's what spurred Proposition 13. And we certainly have that here in Illinois. And, and, and California has a graduated in state income tax. Mm -hmm. They're not doing that bad, and we in Illinois are not learning from, even Cook County has capped their property taxes. Did you know that? Cook, I mean, the Cook County Board, yeah. Cook County capped there, and they can only draw $173 million. Now, they're thinking about ways to get around that. 
And one of the ways is to index the tax rate increase to the consumer price index. Why not do that with homeowners? Yeah. Why not just increase our market values up to the inflation rate or the consumer price index? Yeah. Because right now I have, I pay one or 2% in real estate taxes to my market value and somebody in Country Club Hills and in, in, in Dixmoor and Calumet City, Riverside, they're paying 8%. Yeah. By the way, so it's a voluntary cap that the Cook County uh, Board follows. And how much do, is, do they cap it every year? Do you know? They, for, the, for the last 25 years, they only have one pool of money, $173 yeah, okay. million. So dollars they, for, that's it. Yeah. But that goes to, the, to health, which is a critical uh, yeah. you know, responsibility of the county. And uh, I'm... I'm I'm just merely going to mention this because everybody thinks I, I cannot help myself, but I have to mention that that cap is blown every year by the TIFs. If we had more time, I'd explain it, but uh, the TIFs are a surcharge. So they tell you, oh, we're only uh, taking 173 million. Is that what you said? 173 million? But because the TIFs limit the amount they can take, let's say from Lincoln Yards, they got to take more to get that 173 million. But they don't tell you that, Andrea Rayla. They won't tell you what they're really taxing you. It's a game of show. It is right? a game, and it's an inside game. Now, I'm going to throw this at you. I told you I was going to throw it at you. I've been throwing this at people for 20 years, ever since I started writing these property tax stories. What do you think about what I call acquisition-based uh, property tax assessment? Now, follow me on this, people. Get that paper and pencils out and follow me. If you bought your house for $100,000 in 1990, and you could afford hundred grand, and that's the mortgage that you were paying off, the hundred grand, you that's the amount that the assessed value of your home uh, would be, that the county would assess your home. And they're saying, you bought it for 1990 at hundred grand, that's what you're going to pay it on. If you bought your house for a million dollars, 20 years later, the assumption is you're a little wealthier than the person who bought it 100000 because you could afford a million dollars. Therefore, we're assessing your house at a million dollars. All right? Now, I've been advocating this ever since I got socked by a property tax increase back in 2004, and most people just roll their eyes at me and go, oh, Ben, go away. What's your thoughts on, on coming into the system like that? I think that it's a better system than what we have now because, you know, it's not based on the ability to pay. This is not a liquid asset, and they increase these values up and up. And when we had our housing crisis in 2007 and 2008, mm -hmm. did we see a plummet of property taxes? No, we did not. We saw a plummet in the transfer taxes and some of those type of taxes, but we it didn't hurt the property taxes. They kept going up and up with more properties coming in. I think it's a very cruel tax. And... I don't think our public officials quite get it yet, how cruel it is. We're growing um, numbers of people who are tax delinquent. 75% of all the tax delinquencies are in the Southwest side. People losing their homes. There's homes are, are, are up for auction, short sales and so forth. And you don't get the relief you need at these appeal boards. We have to fundamentally change the system, whether it's acquisition base, where you tax that house on its value and you incrementally mm -hmm. increase the taxes yeah. based on the consumer price index, or you get more property taxes because a new sale happened, new homes were constructed. You know, you, you we, we gotta wean ourselves off of, you know, the property tax system because it's hurting 
so many middle class and even low income property owners. Well, when you talk about the hurt, uh, I'm going to give you an example and see what uh, advice you would have. I have a dear friend who doesn't live far from me. are probably going to be writing about this situation. Uh, she and her husband got socked with a $24,000 property tax bill. There's just two people living in a single family home uh, on the north side of Chicago. Trust me when I tell you, they're not wealthy people. And $24,000, I don't know how they're going to pay it. Now, they're both uh, considered senior citizens. Uh, they're, I think they're 68 years old, 69, something like that years old, and they're retired. So um, what kinds of relief can somebody in a situation like that uh, find? They are in, indicative of so many people, Andrea, who don't pay attention to property taxes until all of a sudden they get a bill that just blows their mind. And so now they're coming at as rookies. So what kind of relief can somebody in a situation like that? Oftentimes, those are the, uh, the people that have never filed a tax appeal yes. for decades. 23% mm -hmm. of us file appeals in the county each year. That is unusually high. Typically, it's about 6% in other jurisdictions around the country. But it's 23% here. But in people, Cook County. In wow. Cook County. But if we don't, you know, if you don't file a tax bill just to even see if you and examine your assessment to see if it's even fair, you're going to get these, you know, increases that go up and up. I think the first thing they need to do is examine whether or not really their market value is as high as it is that would warrant $24,000 tax bill. See if they can file a tax appeal based on an appraisal that brings that down. Also, we have to consider this. When people get insurance for their homes, there's, there's a page in there called the Replacement Cost Report. It will tell you that the insurance company will pay you $300,000 or a million dollars if your house burns down. Okay. That is the cost value. And oftentimes the cost value that is in your own insurance form is lower than the assessor's market value. The cost value is important, so it could be used as part of that evidence. But in addition, is that market value as high as the assessor thinks it is? And do they get the exemptions that they deserve? There are now seniors who are 65. If you make $65,000 as a married couple or as individuals, if you make $65,000 and you're 65, you can get the senior freeze. And that will hold your assessment value or your taxes, not your assessment, your taxes at that level. But they will be foolish filing a senior freeze unless they first try to get those assessments so down. So get the thing. That, is, is there any senior exemption or a senior uh, subsidy or help for somebody uh, regardless of their income? Yes. It's a senior exemption. And it, gets, it comes along with the homeowner exemption. And that senior exemption is about $500. And the homeowner's exemption is about seven hundred dollars. So it. the combination, it's over a thousand dollars in savings. So that lowers. Uh, it, lo it comes right off that second installment bill. So if they pay twenty four thousand, they'd be. T and if they got homeowner and senior, they tw pay twenty three thousand nine hundred dollars. Okay. But more significantly, if they can file a successful appeal with that type of evidence, they could get their taxes maybe down to seventeen thousand. And and this is an example. This is, I'm glad they have this program, Andrea, don't get me wrong, but you got to know how the game is played to get to that program. Most people go through life, they're worrying about tonight's Bears-Packers game. They're not studying the intricacies of our tax system. Right. Yeah, Andrea Raylan knows it, okay? Mike right. Madigan presumably knows it, or at least the lawyers he got working for him knows it. Ed Burke's lawyers know it, but... Joe Citizen, who lives in Chicago, it doesn't know it, and it's... 
It's and, a system that just helps people, insiders. Yeah. And for your friends, they're your neighbors, they're 68. They might consider moving when they're 70 or 71 to Lakeshore Drive up in, in a, you know, a condo. But who's going to buy their property when their property taxes are $25,000? Nobody. Yeah. So they have two incentives. If they ever sell this property or give it to their children, get those taxes down to get that sale through. And don't burden your children with the taxes that high. And then, of course, you know. You know what? That, that was funny that you should say that. Uh, because that's one of my favorite little pieces. When I first started getting on my high horse about property taxes, uh, people in Chicago, this is so Chicago, will go, Ben, why don't you sell your house, man? You cash out. I, mean, I don't want to sell my house. Like, what, what kind of answer is that? Chicago, it's, man, I'll get them sometimes. Sell your house. I don't want to sell my house. You know what he's saying? Like, they, you can cash in. An alderman told me this. This is what an alderman told me. Cash in, Ben. It's those type. <laughs> it's that type of attitude yeah. that has been carried on by our public officials too long that refuse to change and overhaul the system. And the system needs to be overhauled. That's what was our 1992 study was all about, overhauling the system. All right, let me put your political prog- prognosticator hat on, Andrea. Uh, right now, Lori Lightfoot. Uh, is on the eve of preparing her budget. Uh, and she gave a, a speech about this last week where she said, we have this huge deficit, 800 million or so. And now she's doing public hearings throughout the city. There was one last night at Jefferson Park and there's three others um, throughout the city. And she's listening to the people and the people are all telling her, I I pay too much in property taxes. And I think what the, the line she gave uh, was, I hear you loud and clear. So, in your humble opinion, do you think that Lori Lightfoot is going to cap, to do like a Cook County cap on property tax increases in this next budget? Do you think she really does hear the people? Lana Claire, is she going to do a little bit what Rahm and Daly did and just, you know, inch it up, bring it up, bring it up? I think Rahm raised the rate historically, and it was raised really high. I don't know that she would raise the tax rate that much mm-hmm. um but i think it will go up on the city side um i think it has to unless she wants to you know stop a teacher strike uh which is going to happen september 24th if they don't get what they want october 6th or whatever is it october yeah. 6th mm-hmm. so um i i don't think she's going to increase it as much as rom did but i think those tax rates for the city side will go up and she ought to be creative and think about what are we doing with all this tiff money why not allocate that toward the, some of the pension problems that we have? Yeah, or blow them up all uh, together. Andrew Red is my guest. We're going to take a, a break, come back, and continue our conversation about property taxes right after this. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian, Hannibal Burris. The real reason I came home is just because I was trapped. Traveling a lot anyway. I wasn't in New York that much, and I don't have a full-time job in New York. I work a lot, but I'm not in New York, so it was just like I don't, I don't need to be here. 
anymore. And, I, and also, I just wanted to work on different stuff here in Chicago. So I have this center that I'm working on on the west side, Melvina Masterminds. It's going to be arts and, and then a tech program and after-school programming for uh, kids in, a, in the North Austin area. So I just wanted to be back. There we go. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. All right, tonight is the night. It's almost football season, which means that the best sports t- uh, reporters in Chicago at the Chicago Sun-Times want to offer you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Do not miss a game this season. Get all the big play scores and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you, yeah, you, can lock in our lowest rate yet, only twenty nine ninety nine for a full year of all the news and sports that you need to know. Stay up to date on breaking stories, get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters, and go deep inside City Hall with best in-class political reporting, and of course, cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city. $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. You cannot do better than that. Isn't that right, Robert Mueller? That's correct. Ah, thank you. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben, and hey, speaking of Ben, welcome back to his show. I love it when you do that, Robert Mueller. That always cracks me up. That is correct. The, that is correct. That and the romp thing. Take a chill pill. Uh, Andrea Rayla, our guests, we're coming down the wire. We already have our bonus guest showing up. How about that, D? I love it when a bonus guest shows up early, getting ready to talk some politics, national politics, uh, with our bonus guest. But I don't like to give away the identity of our bonus guest until we do the bonus oh guest. Identity, so it will be a mystery. Uh, Andrew Arela, property Take tax. Take a chill pill, man. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Uh, property tax guru, you have some breaking news here. I barely had time to absorb this. So uh, before we let you get out the door, just tell folks what you've learned, you ascertained uh, from, what is it? Did you say Winnetka, the, the town of Winnetka, one of the wealthiest towns uh, in Cook County, one of the wealthiest towns in the United States of America, and the former hometown of uh, Dennis's favorite governor, Bruce Rauner. Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! Oh, thank goodness he's left the state. Anyway, um, so what did you just discover? Well, uh much to many people's surprise in the industry, um, on August 19th, the letters went out to 1,136 um, Winneka homeowners mm-hmm. up and down the uh, coastline and, and uh, along the Kenilworth, Kenilworth Glencoe, Winneka area. They received additional reductions in their assessments after they had gotten assessment increases because that area got their triennial increases. They were given the triennial increases and then tax lawyers helped to get them down successfully or unsuccessfully. The township closed, sealed, signed, delivered. And then two months later, August 19th, 1,100 homeowners received letters saying that they would get additional reductions. Um, We see that the average is about uh, 22% 
reduction on the average. And these uh, reductions amounted to initially the property taxes on um, these properties were $29 million. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were reduced down to $22 million, saving those taxpayers $7 million should the Board of Review accept those corrections from the city of Chicago. And I can juxtapose this to what happened in the Joe Berrios years where he reduced people's assessments in Jefferson Township, in Norwood Park, along the flight path. Yeah. So they got 10 for, or 10 to 15 percent automatic assessment. The flight path of O'Hare. So because you lived underneath planes landing and taking off at O'Hare, they reduced the value of your home. And as a result, you pay less in taxes. Now, these are the floodplains that they're claiming that FEMA, that they're hazardous. And normally there is an application on the assessor's website that it says an individual can apply for FEMA flood plain relief when they have damage. Mm-hmm. And Tony Preckwinkle put out a, a, a report showing those communities that have had people in these floodplains and that need significant help. They're mostly on the southwest side up to north and Des Plains. Very, very few people applied for it from Winneka, Glencoe, and Kenilworth. Very few. As a matter of fact, no one in Winneka applied for it. And so 1,129 people are going to get that, have gotten that relief if the, the Board of Review All approves right, it. So let me get this straight. So again, remember, like I said, if you live under the air, the flight plane, they say, oh, your home's less in value. So we're going to reduce the value of your home. That's you pay less in taxes to compensate you for having to live under landing planes. Now what they're saying to the good people with NETCA, one of the wealthiest uh, suburbs in the United States, hometown of Bruce Rauner. I don't mean to hold that against you with NETCA, but he is your neighbor. Anyway, uh, uh, they're saying to them, because you're in a floodplain, we're going to reduce your property taxes. What you're telling me is that Winneka is not, in fact, in a floodplain. So it'd be as though they were giving um, Dennis, who lives <laughs> nowhere near O'Hare, a property tax exemption for being under the flight path of O'Hare. Uh, and he's the beneficiary of that, even though he doesn't have to put up with the landing jets. He'd be very appreciative of that. Uh, that's effectively what they're doing in Winnetka. They don't have flood issues. They're not uh, the re- uh, on this list this, that uh, Tony Prokwinkle uh, put together of towns that are really hurt by being in floodplains. Devastated by Devastated. And Devastated. They're giving a benefit automatic of the relief in the th- in the form of seven million dollars to those to those homeowners, and I think we should look at them individually and see if they deserved it because we're talking about two million dollar homes being dropped to one million. Got you. So the less, one more time, the less uh, when that tickian, whatever you call them, <laughs> when that. Tuckerian, whatever they're called. Uh, the Netkins. Oh, listen, well, Mr. I know the North Shore over there. That's uh, correct. <laughs> uh, the less a Winnetkin pays in property taxes, the more a Wilmetton pays in practice property taxes, or an Evanstonian uh, pays in property taxes, or a Chicagoan, because we're all feeding to Cook County. So, uh, so now, what is this the result of? This is something that uh, it was. It was a program that was installed according to the assessor's letter to these individuals that said, because we overlooked the FEMA plan that you were in this FEMA flood area, we're going to add that in and ask for relief for you. These were not individual homeowners that applied for it, like is it, like the Tony Preckwinkle uh, uh, FEMA plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're seeing people call us up and say, is this for real? 
Is this, you know, people calling you from Winnetka? Calling us from Winnetka and saying, is this for real? Are we really getting this tax break out of the sky, manna? <laughs> and how much is it saving yeah. me? And I have to say to them, you know how much you're saving? If it's approved by the board, you will pay less property taxes than you paid in 2018. And this is a reassessment year for you. And they're like, wow, it's a great day. <laughs> it's a great day to be in Winnetka. Why is Winnetka? No. No problem. Don't take this the wrong way, Winnetka, okay? Nice town, like driving through it. Got nice new Trier High School there. You love those Trevians. But why are they getting a tax break? Good God, they don't need a tax break. Well, we're going to find out how those FEMA maps overlay and how they came up with a justification of taking off $500,000 market values off. Andrea Rayla, this is just another example of how twisted and dysfunctional our property tax system has been railing against this. And I know you have too. Even going back before me, Andrea and I met back in the 80s. We like to talk about this when she was working for Pat Quinn. And uh, it really is an unfair system. And the folks in Winnetka put up with it because our, our, uh, our schools are financed largely through property taxes. So Winnetka's attitude, it's like a gated community. We'll pay more on property taxes, Andrea. We'll have New Trier High School. Like they teach every language in the world in New Trier. They got a great band in New Trier. They, we're here in the city of Chicago right now. The CTU is begging the CPS, please, please put us a nurse in a school. Man, they got nurses like crazy in New Trier. You know, they got librarians and stuff. So Chicago doesn't even have enough money for a librarian. So Munekka's like, hey, the property tax system works for us because we raise money for, we'll pay for our best school. We don't kick in as much for the Chicago schools. And now they're getting a break. Well, I think we should have school consultations. We need to have share of that entire revenue so that wealthy communities don't have spend, you know, 30000 on one public school student and we only pay 9000 Consolidation of well, those school districts. I, I, th- what Pritzker's trying to do, I will leave it here, but what Pritzker's trying to do with the fair tax is a step in that direction. You have a statewide progressive tax. The wealthier you are, the more you pay. If wealthier people start kicking more in, then you could reduce the property taxes because you could be spending more on uh, uh, public education from the state. And if the good people in Winnetka want to, on top of that, contribute more to New Trier, let them do it. Okay, but uh, that's their choice. If they want to raise their local taxes to benefit Nutrier, let them do it. But I think it's outrageous that we, the par- and this is the problem, our schools are dependent on this property tax right, system. Right, right. So the state collects at $29 billion and the and the county collects about $14 billion of that, 45% of the state is what con- is contributed by Cook County property taxpayers. That's not a little bit of money. And if we get a graduated income tax, it'll raise $4 billion. That's not what you're saying is that a drop in the bucket. That's what you're saying. Mm. Or maybe, well, that's the current plan. But they need to cap property taxes then. If you're going to let us do a graduated income tax and collect $4 billion more, well, let's keep our property taxes in Cook County not higher than the $14 billion that it is and index it on the cost of living. Would you allow uh, a a town to uh, voluntarily go beyond the cap, like I was just suggesting? Like if we have a cap, if we swap the fair tax for a cap on property taxes, which is what Pat Quinn, by the way, on the show said. Or index it, just a gradual growth. What if Winnetka says, you know what, we want to go beyond 
that cap. Do you think they should have the home rule authority to do so? Absolutely, if that's what they wanted to do. Through a referendum. Yes, through a referendum. All Raise right. their own taxes. Andrea Rayla for governor. No, just kidding, Andrea. you got <laughs> enough problems. Uh, Andrea Rayla, thank you so much for Thanks coming Thanks for having in. me again. Appreciate uh, it. She's our property tax guru. Love talking property taxes with her. She had breaking news about Winnetka. I did not know about this until she walked in the studio this day. So thank you very much for doing that. Miles Conflassen was our guest uh, earlier in the day from In These Times. He did an outstanding job. And of course, the man, the lip, myth, the legend behind the board, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. What happened to your face? <laughs> Take I it just out. realized that. Take out. No more bandages tomorrow, everybody. See you tomorrow. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. You know we live stream this show. It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. We're now on Facebook, at Benny J Show. I mean, the page has been on Facebook. We live stream now on Facebook. Benny J Show, at Benny J Show. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show, and on Instagram, the Ben Jarofsky show. J-O-R-A, V is in victory, S-K-Y. We will see you tomorrow.